Hi folks, this is Nathan Bear, and welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. You know, uh, some people think of me as the straight man of the show, which is uh, pretty ironic because uh, off mic I'm actually incredibly uh, funny. Uh, and speaking of funny, uh, with us as always, Mr. Michael Kelly. Yeah, I don't, you know, thank you, Nathan, I guess. Um, in order for your joke to work, though, it has to trick people into thinking you're going to say I'm gay off mic, <laughs> which you're, every fucking other sentence you say is a homoerotic innuendo, you know, so nice try for a joke. <laughs> I hate you, <laughs> This is what it's come down to. Yes. This is what the show has been reduced to. It's a shouting match. This is the episode that, in a way, it's been building to for the last two years. And now, now we're doing it. Now it's happening. Now it's, what choice do we have, you know? Well, no choice. No this choice. is it. This is it. We can't run away from our feelings anymore. No. <laughs> we have to review King Kong 2005. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear God. Ah, shit. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> before we get to the proceedings, um, we've we've hired a, a, a guy to, to come in here, and, and, and just in case Nate and I start physically fighting one another, uh, this young man's been brought in to, to help break it up. Uh, he's also a, a fan, more so, I would say, of music, but also movies. But, I mean, he's just a fascinating cat. And, you know, I know I'm, for one, feel privileged to, to, to hang out with him. Cool guy on the scene, Mr. Ian Lindsay. Sir, Ian, welcome. I mean, he's not sir. He's not a knight. Has not been knighted. That we know of. of. I'm trying in some small <laughs> New Zealand country. Uh, yeah, we're so glad that you could be a part of our King Kong 2005 discussion. And uh, are you feeling, you know, special feelings towards this film as well? Hopefully, uh, feelings. Yeah, you got feelings. <laughs> feelings. You got feelings. <laughs> Interesting feelings. All right. Well, we'll get. Yeah, let's. Uh, Let's uh, let's talk. Let's let's talk it out here, guys. So, so yeah. So, uh, two thousand five was an interesting time. Um, I, I guess uh, let's talk about the director, Peter Jackson. Sure. He had just fresh off uh, Return of the King. Best uh, picture. Which, yeah, ten. You know, Academy Awards tied with Ben Hur. Yeah, for the most mm-hmm. Academy Awards. Just oh my goodness! Like, and that was uh, that. Those three films got me and several other people uh, from you know my generation to to film school. I mean, I think yeah, two thousand five. I don't think Peter Jackson could do any wrong in my eyes. Just yeah. between yeah. Lord of the Rings and the early really trash movies, which I love yeah. just as much. Yeah. yeah. So was... everything uh, in my mind uh, was set. You know that Kong two thousand five was going to be. You know another monumental piece of work. Um, and uh, production of this film um, was recorded and put on their website, and I had such joy going on their website. The production like, Diaries, yeah. which started mm-hmm. with uh, the ring, OneRing.net on the Lord of the Rings, and oh. he carried that over into this. So, yeah. yeah this... I remember watching those diaries, too, and think about how thin he had gotten yeah after it was, it was very scary he did not look like the same person and uh you know in retrospect i kind of wish he had kept the weight uh 
I think that was. I think <laughs> yeah, that was. I, th- I think quite, that was keeping him mentally balanced as well. Well, he he had definitely a a more fun vibe when he had the weight, and yeah. when he lost it, he became more of a twisted sort of uh, groundskeeper type mentality. To yeah, him that you just sort of like, you know, if you're going to lose the weight, get a haircut too. Yeah, because he still had the same hair, like the big hair. Yeah. Michael Moore, famed documentarian filmmaker, has has the same thing going on with his hair now, where it's like, cut cut your hair, man. <laughs> like it's not, it looks like a mop. <laughs> if you're gonna commit, go all the way. Yeah, man. yeah. Um, and uh, while it's well known that Mike and I have a difference of opinion, uh, I think it just should be fair to point out that you know at this time, you know, yeah, we, I at least personally did not think that. Um, Peter Jackson could do any wrong. Let's let's take yeah. a second here to just fully state that the Lord of the Rings. I think one of the many things that it did was it it showed us because everyone was sort of in a state of denial, or they would have been in complete denial in the early what we're referring to this decade known as the aughts. Yeah. Uh, about the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just like maybe we had grown up, maybe we were watching them wrong, whatever. Yeah. But then. No, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy came along. It was like absolutely not. It's like there's there's still a clear cut difference between good movies with excellent <laughs> pacing and dialogue, delivering thrills and stuff in an efficient manner, and whatever the prequels were. And and that again that helped us snap us out of it. Even though yeah. King Kong came out the same year as as Episode Three, uh, Revenge yeah. of the Sith. But like it, 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 that was one of the things that helped sort of the downfall of Star Wars in my mind. Was, yeah, was, well, and they were just incredible. Aside from anything to do with Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings movies were amazing and as Ian mentioned, I was a huge fan of, of specifically um, Dead Alive, which is the mm-hmm. American mm-hmm. name for Brain Dead, which is a zombie movie that the, Peter Jackson made. The American version yeah. is better than the New Zealand version. Yeah, yeah. Too. Um, which is an amazing movie. So, incredibly pumped for yeah. King Kong in 2005. Um, I guess personal as bit well i mean the lord of the rings films each of them were about three hours long yeah and still like i remember my grandma taking me to each one of them and uh even after the first one i was like that's it i want more right like i could sit through a film of that length and just be like no i i want more you know why can't it be 10 hours long or something like that um so for me there was like an immediate um i guess disappointment in Kong 2005 for me right. because of the fact that it was so long and I felt underwhelmingly so. I personally felt that it didn't need to be as long. I felt like the story was stretched way too uh, way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, unnecessarily so. Um, so that that was what I got out of it. I was very disappointed I have a collection of movie stubs for all the movies I really liked, and I ripped that up immediately. The, um, your your stub? It. My or, stub. Or the entire collection out of protest? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I pulled Double the temple movies. over onto myself. <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, no, I just ripped up that stub. I was uh, incredibly disappointed. It was like, you know, I don't know, I guess it's like, Inc- incredibly disappointed. Yeah. Wow. I don't okay. think I had as much of a gut reaction. I just very clearly remember falling asleep. 
about halfway through the yeah. movie. Well, I just and rem- it was an afternoon show, so I was not that tired. Well, there's this big complaint after Return of the King, and that was the fact that that film had like several endings. And I agree with that, but I still had this joy watching it even the second time really really having to pee for the love of god <laughs> sam just get into the fucking hobbit hole so we can you know leave but at the same time it was like oh but this is just such a good film i right. don't want to get up out of my seat right whereas kong 2005 um when uh he's chloroformed for the umpteenth time you know on skull island i'm like can we just leave can this just be the movie <laughs> I, I think a lot of the stuff that you're saying, first of all, is um, very is 100% the thing that people uh, latch on to when they're decrying this movie is is the length. Uh, in particular, the first hour, which depending on there's two cuts of the movie. There's the theatrical cut, which is three hours and eight minutes. And then there's the extended cut, which is like three hours and 20 minutes, mm-hmm. somewhere in that length. And if you get the extended DVD, uh, which if you're a fan of, of uh, certainly event filmmaking, you should, because they go through step by step and show the entire process of how the film was made, as they did on the incredible Lord of the Rings extended edition uh, DVDs, which to this day I still I think are like the holy grail of like DVD I, special yeah, features. Yeah, I don't think they get any better. You, you it, 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 nothing has ever no come close to that. Um, but you know, it's that that's certainly something that that they pointed out. And and I look, I'm not going to say that an hour on the boat was called for, and I'm not going to say that all of it works. I'm not even going to say that most of it works hmm. on the boat. Yeah, first hour. I'm going to say a lot of it could have been cut. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, I agree. But I don't. I do think, looking back on this film, now there is sort of a general throwing the baby out with the bathwater mentality for those nitpicks that may, I, I sort of hope to kind of get into a little bit deeper on our discussion today. Mm-hmm. Um I do think before we just jump into it, we should yeah. a little bit of background on on the on the making of the film is is necessary. Right. Now, and we won't go into detail. We'll try not to go. I'll try not to go into detail, and of course, everyone else jump in. But like you know, this film, unlike any other movie we've ever reviewed, has you know this is a recent film. This yeah. is only ten years ago, and there. You know, I think the, the the newest movie we reviewed was Godzilla 2014, and then Pacific Rim before yeah. that. But this film has like five times more information available about it, specifically for the things we've been talking about—the production diaries and these extended edition DVDs yeah. and all. There's just this library of stuff. I don't want to talk about that stuff because that's you could. It's there if you want to find it. You can, but. Briefly, if we can get sort of a loose framework so we know kind of where we're coming from on this thing, I think it is there is some merit in discussing that, okay, the project first started mm-hmm. in 1995-96. That's when Peter Jackson was at Universal. He was making The Frighteners with, uh, with M.J. Fox, Michael J. Fox, star of Teen Wolf. Okay, and they came to him and they're like, "We're looking to remake two movies: Creature from the Black Lagoon or King Kong." 
which would you like? And Peter Jackson's like, well, King Kong's my favorite movie, so I think mm-hmm. I'd like to do that one. And he did like eight months of pre-prep for that, and they pulled the plug because Godzilla 1998 and Mighty Joe Young were coming out the next year. They would be in the third place of giant monster movies in 1997, mm-hmm. and that's no good. No. So that was it. Then Peter Jackson went off and made the Lord of the Rings movies, and they made multiple billions of dollars and won like... 20 Academy Awards. Yeah. And uh, and then he came back to revisit it. And so I think uh, this is something that lived in his head for a long time. And it sort of mutated. And I think in his own head, what I'm trying to say is that, like, it haunted him. And it was, mm-hmm. it was like, it was always there. And it was always sort of growing. And, like, obviously, it's his favorite movie. Yeah. Like, King well, yeah. Kong is his favorite movie. I mean, you go back so it was to, always going to be big, yeah. you know? His, his early, so the first filmmaking stuff he did were stop-motion things done, like, when he was a kid. It was made to look like King Kong-inspired things. Yeah, like, he made a King Kong, like, he tried to make his own King Kong when he was, like, 12 or 13, mm-hmm. just with his parents' Super 8 camera. So, like, I'm, what I'm trying to explain is, like, why a story that took, like, 80 minutes to tell in 1933... Mm-hmm in his mind, like, needed to take three hours in 2005. Well, I want to make a fair comparison to a Kurosawa film. Okay, right? go for Kurosawa, it. Kurosawa, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, uh, made a film in 1951 called The Idiot, uh, based off the Dostoevsky novel. And it was a huge failure. Um, it... You know, the original running time was like eight hours long, and Suchiku, the company he was working for, said absolutely not. So basically that film was cut by, you know, other hands. Um, so the, the like, two-hour and, like, 50-minute version that's out now is, it's it's his, but it's not his. And like King Kong 2005... Um, it's very well shot. It's very, you know, the production level is so high. You've got great stars. That film has, you know, uh, Setsuko Hara and Toshiro Mifune and another, you know, uh, a whole ensemble of, you know, great uh, Japanese actors in that film, uh, including Takashi Shimura, I believe. Um, but the flaw of that film was, at least in according to Donald Ritchie, is the fact that Kurosawa just couldn't detach himself from the source material enough. He just, you know, really was just so into being true to Dostoevsky that he just, you know, couldn't give it its own life and really make it his own. You know, he like shot himself in the foot because he, you know, wasn't being Kurosawa. He was trying to be Dostoevsky. Um, And I feel like in a way, this is how uh, King Kong 2005 Um, at least to me, how it parallels, is the fact he was just so obsessed with this film. And he just, he he felt he couldn't, like, I guess, detach himself from what was already there instead of making it his own. The Lord of the Rings films, I really feel like, are Peter Jackson films. Mm -hmm. You know, the source material he was working for, he and his, you know, collaborators, really went to great lengths to give it the same majesty, but at the same time, make it work for a motion picture and give it the pacing and, uh, I guess, humanism for, you know, an audience to just, you know, sit back and enjoy for, you know, three-plus hours each. And I really feel like um, there are moments, like in The Idiot, 
in King Kong 2005 that are fantastic and just some great pieces of cinema. But as a whole, it just, to me, does not feel um, great. And that's where the disappointment comes from. It's not, you know, that it's a complete failure. It's the fact you're that... Not, so you're yeah. not saying it's like a fiasco? No. I'm saying that he just, if he had just detached, if he had been more himself yeah. and less um, trying to keep up with the original... Um, I, to an extent. Okay, I'm just if he, you know, if he had done like a comedy or a parody right, or right. something like that, I think it would have been brilliant. But it just felt like he was so torn between trying to do his own thing and trying to keep up with the original. And you know, so he's working this period piece because remember when King Kong came out, it was. It was it, 1933. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They weren't making any, uh, you know, they, they didn't have to, you know, make lots of, you know, shots of New York and say, oh, look, it's 1933. You know, in case right. you didn't know, it's 1933. Whereas this, he has to spend so much time pointing <laughs> like, out, what? by the way, this is 1933. Right. By right. the way, RKO, Fay Ray, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Um, and some of that stuff falls flat and, and is... Uh, borderline painful yeah. and i'll and i'll give you that i and and i'll also give you that you know he's made movies that are dialogue centric yes. and, and and based on characters and the relationships with very little special effects yeah. heavenly Heaven, creatures heavenly creatures mm-hmm. which may still be his best movie uh i don't know it's between that and like you know two towers for mm-hmm. for me personally and, and Dead Alive is always, you know, like the yeah, X factor there because yeah. Dead Alive <laughs> is incredible to say nothing of Meet the Feebles. But it does seem like he has fallen back a little bit as far as dialogue scenes to that pre, like, like the, the, the quality of the dialogue is like something out of a Dead Alive or a Brain Dead as opposed to something like The Frighteners or... Uh, heavenly creatures mm-hmm. where it does seem like it's very rushed mm-hmm. you know and, and his, him and his writing partners including his wife mm-hmm. um and that stuff and 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 never is that more apparent than the stuff on the boat in mm-hmm. the first hour which you watch the special features they rewrote almost all of that stuff like a day before they started shooting it mm. And filmmaking is weird, and it's a gamble, and there's there's yeah. stuff that happens, but I'm not trying to make excuses. You still have to be responsible uh, for that end product. But at the same time, you can't predict a masterpiece. Right. You know, you, you can't predict it, and this was a personal project. And, you have to factor yeah. in human exhaustion, too. Yeah. The reason why they went into this thing when they did is that they had just finished Return of the King. In some cases, they were still working on post-production for Return of the King. And the reason why Peter Jackson did this is like this is an insanely complicated movie. King Kong mm-hmm. is, is is going to be insanely complicated, and we have this giant lumbering machine in place, which was the Lord of the Rings production company and everything at, at Weta Workshop and the great Richard Taylor, <laughs> the, the, the great the great genius Richard Taylor. Uh, working with him. So, like, the time, it was like now or never. It's like he could have stopped and waited for like 10 years and then gone back and made it. Uh, but it would, that would have taken a lot more energy to get that, that, that crew, that team back together. And like he had the team there mm-hmm. and it was basically like making a fourth 
Lord of the Rings. And see, I think yeah, that's movie. where some of my problem comes with it, is that in a lot of ways it does feel like Lord of the Rings, yes. and I don't think King Kong is necessarily that same kind of epic. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're, some of the dialogue in Lord of the Rings is not great, but it works because of this very epic storyline. You have yeah, all yeah. these kind of throwaway characters that just pop up, and it, it makes sense because there's this huge world. Whereas King Kong, you try and give backstories to, like, the cabin boy. Yeah. He's not a hobbit. He's just something like, yeah. stowaway. And like, I, so there's like, I'm not going to read like a side novel about yeah. the cabin boy. Right. Especially for a pulp story. I yeah, mean, King exactly. Kong is pulp. It's great adventure pulp. Well, and, but, and that's one of the scenes yeah. I, sorry to cut you off, but mm-hmm. uh, one of the scenes I dislike the most is that Heart of Darkness yes. thing. Yes. Oh. And, it, and it's like, this isn't an adventure story, is it? It's like, well, it fucking should be. Yeah. Like, this is King Kong. <laughs> like, and there, it never really makes a case for it not being an adventure story other yeah. than just padding it with stuff for no yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So they're just... <laughs> I, I hate to nitpick a lot of films because there's so many movies that have plot holes or just things that just don't make sense. You know, I'm sure uh, the recent Star Wars film that came out has tons of those. But I honestly didn't care and I probably won't care for a while because of the fact that I would just enjoyed the film. I just like enjoyed it. It right. was like paced enough where I could just, you know, melt into the beautiful seventy millimeter IMAX images right. at the Smithsonian um, to, you know, not care about those things. And and you're saying that this melting process did never occurred for you in two thousand five. No. Now I wanted to be fair to it when I wanted to come back to it as fresh as possible because i saw this with uh you know friend and contributor to the podcast nicholas gussie in 2005 when it came out we were both stoked um and but i will say our theatrical experience was slightly um tarnished by the fact that we moved uh, several seats over to allow a family to sit next to us and the woman sitting at least next to me every time something happened she'd be like oh that's so scary Oh, that's so disgusting. <laughs> oh, that's so nasty. <laughs> just wouldn't shut up. Interesting. So I wanted to be, you know, maybe there was something I missed. Maybe there's you know, something I just didn't get. So watching the extended version, I tried to bring in as much, you know. Positive energy. Positive energy as possible. I still didn't feel good about it. I still felt very angry. At the same time, though... There, like I mentioned earlier, there are gems. There are good moments. Right. Um, you know, so there are worse films. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Peter but, Jackson has made worse films. Yeah, Peter We're Jackson has made you, the lovely bones. <laughs> yeah. So I just feel like this was just kind of like the beginning. At the same time, it was kind of like the beginning of an end because he's just kind of I will say that at the Hobbit off. movies, yeah. The, you know, Desolation of Smoag and uh, Battle of the Five Armies, whatever perceived problems there were with this, uh, with this take on Kong and whatever real problems, because it does have a few real problems. They have set in and taken root and they are uh, expounded upon greatly in the Hobbit uh, prequel trilogy things sell more really in 48 frames universe. a second <laughs> i Bloody like the 48 you. frames hey okay. if we were talking about 48 frames a second i like that 48 frames a second it's because it's like it's first of all it's the future mm. you can't argue with jim cameron <laughs> because he is somewhere in new zealand in a giant airplane hangar painted green with like 
tennis balls taped to him with electrical tape, and he's just taking a stick and recording information into a computer for 12 months for eight hours a day himself. And then there's a janitor guy who's also sort of light security, and he's going to be doing that for the next two years, previsiting Avatar shit, and that's his process. In cut, he's insane. 48 <laughs> frames per second is the fu- is the future. James Cameron did that for Avatar, by the way. Like no one ever talks about it. He spent an entire year by himself mapping out the camera moves for Avatar. That happened. Okay, confirmed. All right. So, anyways. Yes, but the Hobbit movies, yeah, it is is a bit of a downfall. But we're still so close to the perfection in Return of the King that I do think that, like, yes, definitely some problems, but overall, highly enjoyable film, and especially for a monster nut like myself. Yeah. I saw it with my brother Ben. Well, I mean, the whole family went to see it, because I think it was like Christmas Day we went to see it. Mm. Um, And we... We really, really enjoyed it, and and just our eyeballs were just popping out of our heads for a lot of it. I mean, they don't get to Skull Island uh, in the extended cut for an hour and 11 minutes, which is insane. I don't know why they did that. But again, I'm trying to like figure out, work my way through Peter Jackson's mind. I think that, look, the relationships in 1933's King Kong, very simple, because it was 1933. Yes. So they could you could have like uh, more investing in the character and stuff with less dialogue and less setup yeah. back then. And I think Peter Jackson was thinking like, you know, since it's 2005, people aren't going to buy that. Like if we just have them like a couple scenes mm-hmm. with Anne and then she gets kidnapped, unless you've done that character work to support why they would go after her, yeah. then the that's the whole like, Third, third, you know, this sorry, second third of the movie is them going after Anne, and it's like if you don't really care about Anne, yeah. So like, I can kind of see where he's going there. And it's refreshing to at least have the a thought, you know. I mean, you know, if you are going to make a remake of King Kong, I mean, you know, it's good to make you know a version with you know maybe like a strong female character. Like I love Faye Ray, but that film, it's mostly just her screaming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing against her talent. It's just that's her character. She oh, is just and, the damsel I in mean, distress. Yeah. I mean, if we want to talk you know. about if we want to talk about the portrayal of, um, you know, Anne Darrow. Or whoever the female, because it was Dewan in the 1976 Dino De Laurentiis King Kong, mm-hmm. their relationship keeps on getting more complicated with each new representation. Where I think in this one, there's an outright she just doesn't like Adrian Brody at all. She likes him a little bit when they're on the boat, but once like the stuff with Kong gets involved, she's just like she sides with Kong for the rest of the movie. You yeah. know, they're they're really separate from each other. They get back to New York, she's not doing the play. She's like whatever, a chorus line girl or whatever. Yeah. They've got nothing to do with each other. Yeah. And so I think that's interesting. Like the the more representations we see of this, the less Jack Driscoll really even factors into it at a certain point point yeah i I do feel like we should say a a couple of things just to maybe kind of give people maybe who haven't seen it maybe who are very young in 2005 a little bit of of background um the film uh had originally a 150 million dollar budget that Mm -hmm. uh ballooned to uh 207 million dollars which at the time was a record for universal uh which who produced the film universal pictures um, they went on to uh, gross 550 
million dollars worldwide. So it was it was a hit movie. Uh, and then they sold over two hundred million dollars worth of DVD sales. So like it did pretty good. I mean yeah. it was it was like one of Universal's most profitable movies ever until the Fast and the Furious franchise came out. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a bomb or anything. Yeah. It was put on multiple critics top five or top ten lists of the year. Like, you know, Roger Ebert gave it four stars or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like and, and but yes, the people the, the one thing that was uh, that the people hit upon again and again uh, was was the pacing. Um, we do we should lay down a, a little bit of stuff here. So Peter Jackson directed it with his normal team. They make all their stuff in New Zealand. Um, the music was going to be done by Howard Shore. There was some sort of falling out or something happened. Uh, at, during the process, and uh, Howard Shore left the movie. I don't know what happened there, but the score ended up being done by uh, James Newton Howard, and is one of the best parts of the movie, and mm-hmm. pretty incredible when you Definitely. consider that he only had three weeks to yeah. like, like write it and orchestrate it. That's like James Horner on Aliens style, like crazy, no time at all. Um We've got a pretty awesome cast. I mean, the ideal cast. The, the, these all, all of the leads. Jack Black as Carl Denham. Naomi Watts as Ann Darrow. Adrian Brody as Jack Driscoll. Those were the only three people they ever considered for those roles. And, you know, obviously they all said yes. So, like, they got, they got the dream cast, yeah. you know. So, like, uh, we've got some other pretty awesome people in here as well. I just wanted to mention Kyle Chandler of uh, early edition fame. He's also the... Uh, deadbeat dad and spectacular now and he's he's a great he's a great actor um and he's he plays uh bruce baxter uh who's sort of like the kind of like the jack driscoll from 1933 character or it's like there's a weird thing going on in this movie where they're like making the 1933 king kong inside of this movie yeah Mm -hmm. uh which i kind of wish they would have explored a little bit more also, his well, I'll get to it later. How his character just seems to go from like yeah. coward to heroic, then coward again. Yeah. It's yeah. like oh, okay. Um, um, most importantly, we do have to talk about Evan Park as Hayes, who is uh, I think the second in command on the ship, and then Jamie I wanted, Bell. I wanted a film about him. J- Jamie Bell as Jimmy, who I want and, to and, die. Yeah, and Hayes <laughs> and Jimmy's. Uh, paternal relationship and yeah. and Hayes's apparent need to to instruct Jimmy and teach him the ways of being a, a you know a good a young man in life. Yeah, uh, their entire parts could have been completely excised from the film, and I yeah. think there none of this bad will yeah. about this movie would exist. Yeah, it's my theory that if you cut their scenes out completely, yeah. you know. I mean, you're fine then. Jimmy is like this film's Jar Jar Binks, and I say that with. <laughs> As much malice as it sounds like. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, like the whole time I'm uh, waiting for him to die. It's not the actor's fault. It's just the character has no place. The whole Heart of Darkness motif just... Um, that was pretty ham-fisted. Yeah. yeah. And that was pretty ham And it doesn't go anywhere. And yeah. the fact that Hayes just has Heart of Darkness memorized. Yeah. Also saved yeah. was like, you know, th- we're talking about a movie with dinosaurs in it. Yeah. So like... It's hard where you draw the line of like what's ludicrous or yeah. not, but like that seemed a bit silly. 
Yeah, it, it feels more like it's a metaphor for the making of the movie itself, kind of like with Apocalypse Now. Yeah, yeah. It's just like someone going crazy. The difference is, is that I much prefer Apocalypse Now. Um, we'll we'll return we'll, to yeah. the Hayes and Jimmy thing when we're talking about the actual plot of the movie, because yeah. it is fast, a fascinating disaster with contained within the film. Yes. But I also have to mention Colin Hanks uh, used to be an actor. And he appeared in films and, and television programs. And he plays uh, Preston. This again, this is Tom Hanks, his son, mm-hmm. the one who is not a rapper. Okay. There's this, he has a, he has another son named Colin Hanks, mm-hmm. and he's in this movie as Preston. And actually, this is a reuniting. This is a reunion of Jack Black and Colin Hanks because they were in the film Orange County, which uh, which was pretty good, you know. I liked it. And yeah. originals by The Offspring. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Colin Hanks is doing anything now. He's actually, he's on Fargo, or he was on the first season. He plays the same kind of wide-eyed <laughs> role that Colin Hanks always does, and did, did a great job. Awesome. So, good. He, good. He's getting some He's getting some work. He sort of disappeared there for a while. <laughs> um, so they, that's basically the main cast that I that I can think of. There's some cameos that we'll get into at you know at the appropriate time but um you know they made it it was a success there was a bunch of tie-in merchandise including peter jackson's king kong which was a video game which came out on all the current gen video gaming systems at the time which i remember xbox uh gamecube i remember peter jackson gave like reading articles in the video game magazines peter jackson gave the um the order the executive command that like he didn't want any on-screen like numerical representation of like bullets because it was like a third-person shooter, mm-hmm. and then like it switched into like a first-person game. Like you were Jack Driscoll, and it was a third-person shooter, and then it would switch to like King Kong mode, and you were Kong, and then it was like a first-person action game. Mm-hmm. And and Peter Jackson didn't want any uh, like information on the screen about like bullets. Like he didn't want to display like a like a like a HUD, I guess you call it or whatever, mm-hmm. or a hub. Uh, so like instead, so now you've got this Adrian Brody, like you know, you're Jack Driscoll, it's Adrian Brody. So you've got a game where like you know you've got your Tommy gun, and it's like every time you fire, you're like okay, two magazines on backup or whatever, and like you fire at some more Raptors, and you're like oh, one magazine on backup or whatever, and it's uh it's really interesting and very unique, yeah, uh, and it it works. It sort of works. Uh, so anyway, not a bad game. Not a bad movie. They both have problems. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of this thing. King Kong, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'm ready for your best. I'm sitting on top of the world. I'm rolling along. Yes, rolling along. And I'm sitting on top of the world I'm rolling along, rolling along Don't want any millions, I'm getting my share I'm 
I've only got one suit, just one. That's all I can wear. A bundle of money, don't make me feel gay. A sweet little honey is making me sad. And I'm sitting, sitting on top, top of the world. I'm rolling along, rolling along. And I'm quitting, quitting the blues, blues of the world. I'm singing a song, just singing a song. Glory, hallelujah, just told the parson. Get ready to call Just like Humpty Dumpty I'm gonna fall Yeah, I'm sitting On top of the world I'm rolling along Yes, rolling along And I'm quitting The blues of the world I'm singing a song Yes, singing a song Glory, hallelujah ready to call just like Humpty Dumpty I'm going to fall and I'm sitting on top of the world I'm rolling along rolling along don't want any million I'm getting my share I've only got one suit just one that's all I can wear a bundle of money Don't make me feel gay A sweet little honey Is making me sad And I'm sitting, sitting on top Top of the world I'm rolling along Rolling along And I'm quitting, quitting the blues Blues of the world I'm singing a song Yes, singing a song Glory, hallelujah So uh, let's let's get underway, uh, shall we, with this uh, undertaking? Ugh. Um. So the first few shots are in a zoo. We don't know what zoo, and uh, you know, it's it, the first shot is on like a, a an ape uh, or like a, a monkey. Lions, um, tigers, lions. Oh my! Oh my! And then it sort of pulls out, and it's uh, New York. Clearly not the New York of today that we know. No. And uh, everything about this New York just sort of looks kind of shitty and depressing, which is yeah. appropriate because it's the Depression. Yeah. Um, and they're playing uh, Al Jolson's uh, Sitting on Top of the World. Mm-hmm. Um, Ironically, I guess. It, <laughs> just sort of like out of spite. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sort of rubbing it in. Just rubbing it in because yeah. like it's in a, you know, there's like a Hooverville or oh, whatever yeah. that they're showing people just being like, like the... picking through garbage and like yeah. feral dogs. Like, I'm sitting on top of the world. Well, know, it's like the, like the opening of Gold Diggers of 1933. The musical starts with Ginger Rogers singing, We're in the Money. And then immediately once that musical number is over, right. the, you know, 
the police come and take all their stuff. That's that's, so. that's right, Nate. But it was actually Kanye West who did the song Gold Digger. So, <laughs> so you know, follow up on your research a little bit better next time. You know, it's uh, it's pretty important. Man, um, had an amazingly long career. I say he's he's so, a gold digger. He's so ahead of his time <laughs> that he has songs back in time. Uh, the most I think fascinating part of this montage to me is where they're destroying like a tuba for some reason or some. Sort Sort of tuba-like object yeah. that Peter Jackson was just so into the montage that he like he didn't feel it was necessary to establish what this thing was that was being destroyed or who was destroying it or why. It was just like it's the '30s; people are destroying big brass cylindrical things. They're just stomping on them for no reason. It's a rough time. People are breaking stuff. I don't know, you know. Which is All right, that was a little puzzle. Broken tuba to the to the metal <laughs> right. man. He'll right. give us a nickel. I don't think it was a tube. It might have just been like an elongated brass tube. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's part of Peter Jackson's anti-tube budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, if you've been paying attention, it's been there since the get-go. Um, but yeah, uh, so. I mean, everything looks like I don't know, like kind of like a. I guess the way the shots look, they look like something like I don't know, like Rockefeller or something like that. Something like one of those type of paintings. So. Yeah. Or like uh, the opposite of Thomas Kincaid. Mm. <laughs> this uh, is there's not, still a lot of light to paint, though. Oh yeah. yeah, he was the painter of light. May he rest in peace. Now um, there's a, I don't know, kind of watching this. I, I was thinking, you know, this would make a beautiful double feature with the film Hollywoodland. Yeah, I know. There's just something about like the atmosphere it creates that reminds me of that film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, great great establishing of the, of the atmosphere of the depression. That so if you couldn't tell, it was 1933. You know, uh, well you're 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 lost. You're going to be lost. Right, right. Or at least you know, if not the specific year, which I think they state a couple of times, um, at least the feel that this is this is America, this is New York, but it's a different time where mm-hmm. things were uh, considerably shittier, considerably more shitty. And uh, and people were starving and out of work and um, you know and and this we we kind of threw this montage with segues into uh, several vaudeville acts um, that yeah. uh, apparently Peter Jackson filmed in their entirety and you can view them in their entirety on on the DVD. Mm-hmm. It's about like forty minutes of just vaudeville stuff, which uh, he cuts down to roughly eight seconds in this. Uh, that's how you get to a two hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, um, and one of these vaudeville performers is Andero, uh, played by Naomi Watts. We see her doing um, sort of dressed in drag. She she looks like uh, some Charlie Chaplin mm-hmm. doing some some stuff, which comes in very handy later on in Skull Island yep. when uh, she needs to make Kong laugh. But yep. she's doing her, like, her crack biggest balls. critic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It will be called. Literally. And, and her biggest fan. <laughs> Size puns. <laughs> that's, that's why people listen to this show, for the quality uh, for the quality humor, you know? <laughs> oh, it's over. It's over. Um, yeah. So, th- 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 her, her friend in the vaudeville, I thought, was Brooks from the Shawshank Redemption yeah. for a while. But I guess it's a different actor. Really? Yeah. It's not the same dude. Oh, um, he just looks. Uh, yeah, um, he looks a lot like him, but it's it's two separate uh, actors. Okay. But um, he his his first, you know, when they 
what happens is they get kicked out of the theater. Much like in Gold Diggers of 1933. Exactly. Uh, and, um, by Kanye West. Uh, by Kanye West. Written directed by Kanye. <laughs> and um, this guy who looks like Brooks from the Shawshank Redemption is talking to, to um, Ann Darrow. And he's like, his... I will say, okay, the problems with the script kind of manifest themselves right away. Because it seems like his consoling her is awfully exposition-y. Yeah. You know, and he's 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 like, oh, and ever since you were a young kid when you, like, were an orphan for a while, then stayed here, and then you started in the vaudeville ten years ago, I trained you, and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it seems very hyper. Yeah. You know, they're packing it with a lot of exposition. Especially since, uh, like, they just found out that the theater had closed. And it's just like, oh, I'm going to Chicago. I'm sorry you had to suffer so much through your, you know, 20 years of life. Bye. Right. Uh, (laughs) Um, We cut to... So Anne's out of a job and, and, you know, might, I don't know, become a showgirl. Um, We cut to... Well, we've also established that she likes Driscoll. Yeah. Yes. That, yes. There, there's a play by by Jack Driscoll. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Fam- famous playwright. Everyone yeah. knows. Yeah. We we John get Driscoll. that exposition in too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. So that's all pretty firmly established, and then we cut to uh, Jack Black as Carl Denham, um, screening the footage of of his latest film, which for, we can't see. Which we can't mm. see. So we're. Uh, Universal film executives, I think they're supposed to be. Or I, I don't. Is the studio ever explicitly said? I, no, just working no. for. I mean, I think it was like one um, loosely like because you know uh, the character um, of Denim originally was loosely based on uh, Marion C. Cooper and Shodzak. Yeah, you know, and how they just would go to places like you know. Thailand and be like, oh, well, there's a elephant stampede. Well, let's go film that. Right. Um, and, you know, that's the idea. Just like kind of these independent, you know, productions. There weren't a lot of them, but they did exist, you know, where people would just go out and make, you know, um, essentially exploitation documentaries just to, you know, show people like parts of the world that, you know, they couldn't, you know. Yeah. Um, this is, this scene is Jack black i think that is most relatable and human throughout the movie because the arguments he's making you know he hasn't filmed the whole movie yet they're just sort of seeing b-roll footage and yeah this is the most the time when i think the audience is the most with him and I, i would like to say that uh jack black based his performance on orson welles yeah i think you can sort of see that um, definitely with like the haircut mm-hmm. and uh, you know the larger than life persona, yeah. uh, you can see a lot of that work coming out there. Um, I've always thought Jack Black was sort of an underrated actor, and he's not really. And certainly in the ten years since this movie, I mean, I, I didn't see Gulliver's Travels, but I don't know. Nor did I see the Goosebumps film, but you know, hopefully someday he'll. Maybe get appreciated. Uh, look, he was great in School of Rock. Yeah, School okay. of like, yeah. Rock. I, I think film. when School of Rock came out, people were like, oh my god, this is, like, this is a great new talent. And then I think maybe him showing up in King Kong didn't help. 
I think, yeah. like, but I don't feel like, like bad will generated from that. Even I honestly don't feel like it's his fault. I feel like he does the best he can. With yes, the absolutely. He's given. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I mean, I, he's asked to do, everyone is asked to do such exhaustive physical action in this movie. I'm, yeah. It's a miracle no one got their neck broken. Um, anyways, basically, you know, Carl Denham shows these first few reels and then they excuse him from the room where they're making their decision to, like, fire him and like salvage the footage or whatever and carl being you know the ingenuitive guy that he is he's talking to preston played by colin hanks he grabs a glass puts it up to the door hears that they're about to fire him and figures well you know if i'm not here to be fired you know this 1933 this pre-cell phones okay pre-smartphones pre-apple watch uh that you know technically the movie is still happening so he runs into the projection booth and somehow gets the reels of, of film, which is not uh, what I would say possible, but he does it anyways. And they run out into the street, and you see this amazingly rendered 1933 New York, and they jump in a cab uh, just as the producers are literally running after him. They're like, you'll never get away with this, which I thought was a pretty clear cut. Yeah, okay, the movie's done. Yeah. Like, fired. But, like... Instead of, if, if the producer just had been like, you're fired, don't do the movie. Instead of being like, you're not going to get away with this, Denim. <laughs> like Legally, the, yeah. the whole thing would have been, you know, wrapped up pretty cleanly right yeah. there. That whole sequence looks like a cartoon, though. It's like, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's when Jack Black utters the immortal line, I'm real good at crapping the crappers. And the way it's filmed, and the, <laughs> like the way he delivers it, and the way the, the score just is sort of like, you know James Newton Howard's music just sort of stops there for a second and it's almost as if everyone in the production is like has no idea what to do with this line and yet at the same time they filmed it and now they have to put it in the movie I had a real problem with that line I was just like no don't put that in there please it's well, just like it's just flat it just falls flat it's like I don't know the, if they were intending a laugh but it doesn't work it's not funny well, uh, there's uh, more wink, wink, nudge, nudge in the taxi cab ride because um, the lead actress who they wanted, parallel to the original King Kong, doesn't want to be in it because she found out it's not really going to be in Singapore, <laughs> you know, which, uh, uh, so he's like running off a list of like actual, like real life actresses and they mention Faye Ray. Well, they say Faye. A Faye. Which is obviously supposed to be Faye Ray because they're like, you know, like, she's doing... um, A movie for RKO. For RKO. Wink. Wink, wink. Which could have been like one of 13 movies Faye Ray did that year. But I think they're implying that it was supposed to be like the most dangerous game. Yeah. Which was the movie, again, that Faye Ray was filming at the same time as King Kong and pulling like multiple 20-hour days in a row. Because she was a champ. Rest in peace, Faye Ray. Denim's on the run from the uh, the producers. Uh, Adrian Brody is hanging out. Basically, okay, right. So Denim finds and Darrow 
stealing, and that was much like the first, the original movie. Yeah, and said he offers the guy a nickel instead of a dollar. Yeah, because he's poor in this film. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some there's some staging stuff where Naomi Watts, she's like he sees her reflection in a window, and, and like she's about to take a job as being a uh, showgirl or whatever, but she doesn't do it. That's beneath her. <laughs> yeah, that's that's beneath her, and then she walks away from the camera, and the camera is clearly placed to show her ass walking away for like forty feet. It's a perfectly framed. Shot. Yeah, yeah, perfectly framed. Yeah. So that is like the most ironic shot, I think, ever. Yeah. Uh, she's like deciding not to be a showgirl, and it's like, let's... Anyways. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> so, you know, Jack Black um, saves Naomi Watts from being, I guess, like accosted by this guy because she was stealing an apple, and mm-hmm. he, he pays for it, and he uh, takes her, explains to her this whole thing. And she explains that she's not going to be the damsel in distress, that her trade is, is making people laugh. and um, they, Which is like, I don't really think she's in a predi- uh, position to negotiate her role. Not at point. all. Not it's at all. Like, uh, excuse, like, it's one thing for her to say, I don't like accepting favors. I can understand that. You know, for the sake of human dignity, but at the same time, like just trying to say what her role is as an actor, she's like, no, yeah. yeah like, what is the line? It's like you're the saddest girl I've ever seen. You'll make them weep. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. I make them laugh. Yeah, it's just yeah. like no. It's a very weird. Make, yeah, yeah. It's just that... like what position? You were just starving a five minute five minutes ago, and now you're like making demands about who your character. It, it will does be. scream of hey, let's take this concept and, and and this scene from 1933 and let's make it modern and let's have her be like empowered and i make people laugh that's my thing and it, it just comes off as feeling a little strange a little out of place yeah I and mean, she could reason. still be empowered but also be at the mercy of the elements around her i mean that's there's yeah. so many great Why films would she about that jump like, at that opportunity you know um I but mean, yeah i mean he's he's saving her from being in a burlesque show yeah like she doesn't have to do that eventually he convinces her um and they head to the venture i believe um and at which point uh we see adrian brody for the first time he's waiting in like the captain's cabin uh with he has 15 pages of the script that denim was supposed to uh, uh shoot with and so denim's like uh, you know this is not it's not a full movie we need a beginning and a middle and an end mm-hmm. you know um and um, because people used to need a beginning and a middle and then unlike terrence malick from To the Wonder, Knight of Cups onward, who no longer needs a script to shoot a film. But uh, this puts Denim in a considerable uh, predicament. And uh, so, because not only he's going to pay him, but the, the ship, Denim decides to, to kidnap, basically, Adrian Brody at this point. Like, yes. Which I thought was, like, amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that he's you know, going through all this ballyhoo, you know, with the checks. Yeah. Uh, so that way Adrian Brody somehow won't notice the ship pulling out of dock. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's okay. It, it was, it was, there was some tension. Yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, him running, and this is also when Bruce Baxter is, is introduced, uh, played by Kyle Chandler, and he's like kind of blocks his uh, exit from the boat because he's like got all of his like golf clubs yeah. and his luggage and his huge white coat and his hat and all this stuff and, like, people helping him with this 
all this stuff and so that was actually one of the most claustrophobic and effective parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was him yeah, just like, yeah. like that, that because it was very, it's like a very accessible human scale to that yeah. scene. You needed to get down the hallway; it was blocked. Um, <laughs> the fifteen brontosauruses piling up on yeah. each other later on, yeah. maybe undoing a bit of that realism, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just that was one of the things when I was first watching this movie I kept thinking about those brontosauruses after I'd be like are they still stuck there <laughs> their legs all broken and they're all the same should it called just... dinosaur holocaust <laughs> dinosaur holocaust <laughs> poor brontosauruses yeah, I still feel bad thinking about like they're they're you know their way, their way home, their way back after way that. Yeah. <laughs> that ridiculous. Maybe, Did maybe they all a, starve. <laughs> now maybe the baby survived, and he meets with a baby triceratops, a baby pterodactyl, a baby mm-hmm. duckbill, and a baby stegosaurus. And they, and all they all get eaten by a V-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, yeah, uh, and now the hour on a boat begins. Um, yeah, where we're introduced to. Uh, Mr. Hayes and Jimmy, I actually don't mind. Mis- well, it was Mr. Hayes, right? Mr. Hayes. Evan, yeah. Evan Park is Mr. Hayes. Yeah, and Jimmy, who... Yeah, I, it was, I was uh, like, Jamie Bell. Why who, the who fuck played, should I care about um, Jimmy? Like, <laughs> who was, uh, I think, the thing in uh, the new Fantastic Four movie. Oh, really? Yeah. And also, the guy who played Anglehorn uh, in this movie is the same dude who played Professor Von... Snorkenstaff or whatever. The bad guy from the very beginning of Avengers Age of Ultron, and I guess he was in several episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Um, that was the Captain Anglehorn. Mm. Um, but anyways, uh, he and he was... You know, like the the scene where, where uh, he's... Um, where we show Jack Driscoll, and, and Jack, he could have jumped. Yeah. and uh, But he doesn't. And 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 sort of a weakness in the script, which then Jack Black turns on his head and be like, "If you really loved the theater, you would have jumped." Which I thought they sort of, you know, recovered just at the very the last second. There, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense because he said that. Now that makes that scene work. Yeah. But immediately after that, they take Adrian Brody to his like his uh, accommodations on the ship. Mm-hmm. And he's basically living in the cargo hold with like yeah. a bunch of like empty cages. For dangerous animals. For and dangerous we, animals. And we like meet f- Charlie yeah. uh, from... Um, uh, from, you know... The original. From the original and one of the only characters in the original to appear in Son of Kong. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting him to live uh-huh. when I saw this in 2005. I'm like, that's the, that's the fucking cook. I mean, he was he was the cook's assistant in, in the first one, but the the cook in this uh, is played is a character by the name of Lumpy, yeah. played by Andy Circus. Yeah, for for no reason other than to be like, well, we had you play King Kong, right? So now we want you to play the cook. Yeah, and so. I think okay, Andy Circus played King Kong. I don't think we need to lay any groundwork about explaining the yeah. motion capture thing. And at, did at a this fantastic job. Yeah. Oh, he, he's, he's yeah. amazing. Kong's performance in this movie is is really yeah. works, and I think not the thing that saves the movie uh, because I don't think it's in that dire strait, and the rest of the movie is is, is still pretty good. But like, it definitely uh, solidifies its place as like uh, I think again the movie is a success, and I've been crapping on it a lot like for the last twenty minutes or so. But this is the weak part of the movie. But the movie's you know, three hours long. Yeah. Um, anyways, so yeah, like, 
Anglehorn shows Adrian Brody his accommodations or whatever. And then there was this sort of bizarre, mysterious line that Anglehorn said, like, are you going to be caged with the lions or the bears or something that yeah, seemed like... like are you a lion? Yeah, it yeah. seemed like they were setting up some sort of mystery or tension there that they just never addressed again. And yeah. it, it seemed very out of place and, and, and kind of weird. Yeah. It almost... Like, it would have been a great line. Oh, that shot... The, the scene is great. It mm. just... It doesn't fit in with the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah I mean, just, I I mean this is more off. like yeah, something yeah. like a joke where you'd see Charlie saying, like, you know, oh, here are your, you know, rooms. You know, do you want to be with the right. tigers of the lion? Ha, ha, ha. There's no room for you. Right. Um, this, like, the way Englehorn says it, uh, it's almost like they're, they're laying the seeds that he's like, that character is going to try and kill Adrian Brody yeah. later on. Well, <laughs> well, the way the music him, comes yeah, yeah. up, the, it's like... He exposes the chloroform... Which I guess they use for other animals. Yeah. I guess mm-hmm. this is not the first time they've tried to chloroform uh, exotic beasts. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a line later on where Jack Black says, You're the best at chloroforming animals. <laughs> transporting why, animals. Which yeah. is why the chloroform reveal feels so weird, because it seems like it's this big secret, and clearly everyone who would Works, know yeah. knows yeah. it. It's and not... unlike in the original King Kong, where they were clearly looking for Kong. It's the whole reason why Carl Denham wanted to go to Skull Island mm-hmm. was specifically to get Kong. He had gas bombs and everything else he needed to specifically take care of Kong. With this, it seems like the idea was like, okay, we're just going to make uh, you know a travelogue piece, maybe right. throw in some action, and who knows, maybe there'll be you know I think he mentions like what is it a tiger, you know, a yeah. lion. I mean, a lot of this can be explained by the fact that at the last minute, Peter Jackson was like, well, he, he made the change, which is a pretty significant change that only Carl Denham would know where they were going. Yeah. And so, and that's like an hour of the movie. So all those scenes on the boat had to be rewritten again, like the day before they were shooting them. So like, that was pretty crazy. And yeah. They're clearly under the gun, and like we said, there's some weird things where characters are saying things that don't quite pay off. And then I think another relationship that sort of suffers from this whole sort of Bermuda Triangle of the film uh, being the boat sequence is is the relationship that we, we talked about earlier with uh, Evan Park as, as Mr. Hayes and then and then Jamie Bell as, uh, as Jimmy. Um, yeah. Jimmy's first scene sort of like cleaning up around... Um, Jack Driscoll's like cage that he's basically living in, and yeah. also typing the rest of the movie now. He's like bringing stealing him, like, a pen, right? So yeah, I guess. He brings him like the walnut. Yeah, he, he, he brings him sheep's brains and walnuts, which is what Lumpy prepares for dinner. And then he's like, "Well, I'll see you later, Mister Denim, or whatever." And then like, uh, you know, Hayes catches him, and be like, "And hey, Jimmy, you need to give him back, Mister Denim." You know, or you need to give back Mr. Driscoll his pen or whatever. And, like, he drops his pen, so he's going to steal his pen. And then, which promotes Hayes to be like, that could have just been like a, it's like, you know, you got to watch yourself around here. But no, that prompts Mr. Hayes to, like, go on this, like, monologue about the secret origins of Jimmy, which seems really out of nowhere. First of all, unnecessarily weird. Yeah. Like, he found him in one of the cages, like, Feral. Leg was broken uh, in two yeah, places. Yeah, it's like, it's <laughs> like leg... if Mister, if this was a pulp novel about Mister Hayes being a detective, and Jimmy was like his dumb sidekick, 
I would be totally right. down for that. Right. That'd be like the perfect. Yes, I want to know the dark origins of this like kind of quirky character. <laughs> right, know? right. Just like, oh, that's interesting. But here it's just but, like, like, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> like, shut who cares? Up. Like, and, and then like, <laughs> the weird the about Jimmy. Right, and, and the and the weirdest thing happens, and it's like you've made it bad, but then it immediately gets worse because instead of cutting back to two characters that you care about or have anything to do with the story, we are immediately follow that up with another scene of Jimmy and Hayes talking about like... You gotta straighten Jim, up Jimmy. Yeah, it's like, Jimmy, you gotta eat your Wheaties and study hard and you don't want to be on this ship all your life and Jimmy's like, well yes I do, it's neat. And he's like, no you don't Jimmy, no you don't. And it's like, wait a minute, when did this turn into the Jimmy and Mr. Hayes yes. movie? <laughs> and, and clearly what happened was they filmed both of these scenes and that scene, that other scene with Hayes and Jimmy was supposed to come like ten scenes later or whatever and then Peter Jackson looked at it and he's like, well this is garbage Let's get this shit out of the way right now. So we're just gonna throw this Hayes and Jimmy sequence in right after, you know, the initial thing, and have it be over and done with. And and you know, God, hopefully they'll forgive me when we get to the island. Stuff will be amazing yeah. or whatever. Which basically is what happens. Yeah. Um, um, another thing that happens where um, there's kind of a, a fun moment where. Uh, or what, Andero meets um, uh, Driscoll, and she mistakes him for the sound man, and they have this, like, awkward, you know, yeah, first... Yeah, I like that scene. Yeah. That was, like, some classic, yeah. like, mistaken identity yeah. comedy. They begin production on the movie, but not movie, that they're making. Um, this is where, because this has been so elongated I start getting more nitpicky I do apologize <laughs> but when the structure is such it's hard not to ignore these things and one of the most glaring issues is the fact that Peter Jackson does not understand the concept of crystal sync sound or how sound works in old movie cameras because we constantly see Jack Black cranking an old fashioned Mitchell camera well, which I might add yeah. was the first uh, camera that they bought at, uh, like Jack Warner bought when he was making Warner Brothers. That was in one of the special features, but they were very specific about what type of camera it was. Yeah, but it continued. Um, well, uh, which is nice. I mean, it's a, it's a good camera. It made many many great films. Uh, the problem is, is that one. When Denham's doing it in the first movie, he's not recording for sound. He's just getting images. In fact, most location shooting at the time was not done with sound because the process of getting sound was incredibly complicated at the time. So it was better to just do sound in post-production uh, or not at all. Uh, and especially for travelogue films like that, there would probably just be a narrator and some music. That would be it. Um, unfortunately for this, it shows Jack Black hand-cranking a Mitchell camera and expecting to record sound at the same time. That does not work. Alright? Sound on film is only achieved by the clap, uh, using the clapboard to sync sound with film that is running at a specific speed, i.e. 24 frames a second for traditional film, or now, you know, 30 frames for video, or, you know, 40, what, what was it, 47? 
48. 48 frames for the Hobbit. So, yeah. Yeah. Hand cranking, you don't get that. You just can't. It would be, like, it would come out terrible. Um, So, yeah, I don't, you know, if I was more invested in the film, I wouldn't pick that out. I'm sure I would have gone along with it, but at this point, it's like, no, that's not how it works. How can someone on a film set shooting on film by the way this film unlike the prequels jackson made the smart decision to shoot it on 35 millimeter film which you would have to sync with a clapboard to you know the nagra recording the sound i don't know it's just one of those things like wait what (laughs) and the fairly got under your skin well it did because they made so much uh business about the sound recording yeah and the fact if they hadn't made if they hadn't even brought it up or didn't have that character there, or just had somebody else doing something, you know, maybe having, like, the, the, the light filter guy or the lens guy, something like that. Right. But the fact that they brought up the concept of sound, and then... Pissed sh- you off. Yeah. It's like, that, that you know, it just didn't need to be there. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Anyways, next. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, thank you, Nathan. But, but through this, we do get the, you know, the tension between... Um, the, the, or sorry, the lessening of tensions between Adrian Brody and um, Naomi Watts and show like they're kind of they're bubbling, you know. Oh, we bumped into each other half naked in the hallway. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you know, there's something there that wasn't there before. Sequence yes, from yes, Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Okay, yeah. All right, thank you, Nathan. Strong insights, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I hadn't realized that either. Um, so it's. You know, and I think, uh, I'm pretty sure Peter Jackson was counting on people not knowing any of that. Yeah. Um, Well, the thing is, they don't even make the movie at the end. So, like, the the fact that there's a guy with sound, like, really only works for that joke. Right. That that one joke. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, you've given voices to the voiceless or whatever she says. To the common people. Yeah. You and captured that, the voice of the common people. Yeah, like, and that's like oh it. yeah, that's like the only. So they wo- reverse engineered it. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's like true. It's, it's a good point. You know, it, it's like I don't know. Um, so you know, while we're still addressing the stuff on the boat, I would like to point out that one of the cages uh, in the in the lower decks where Adrian Brody is is, is kidnapped and forced to stay during this journey. Uh, one of the cages says uh, Sumatran, Sumatran Rat Monkey, yes. which is a direct reference to Dead Alive. Uh, the Sumatran uh, Rat Monkey is what starts, uh, it bites uh, the main character's uh, mom's hand, and that uh, in turn sets off a, a miniature zombie apocalypse in 1940s or 50s New Zealand. So anyways, I was very glad mm-hmm. that, they, uh, that they included that. Uh, because if you watched it alive, they take the rat monkey from Skull Island. Uh, yeah. So it's like... That's full circle. That's full circle. Yeah. In a way, you know, Dead Alive is sort of a sequel to this, but almost a prequel type it's, sequel it's definitely thing. definitely canon. Yeah, it's canon. Yeah. Much like the Star Wars Holiday Special mm-hmm. is canon with the Star Wars universe because everything was excised except actual footage of Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill. Guess what? Star Wars Holiday Special. Definitely footage of That's them. A, another movie featuring 
a character named Lumpy. Exactly. Like yeah. Finest character. We're starting to get connections here that I think there's something here that wasn't there before. <laughs> um, I'll explain it when you're older, Chip. All <laughs> oh, right. How long are we going to be trapped like this? Forever, Chip. Until the castle collapses, then we'll be turned to dust. But we'll still have the damnation of consciousness. Oh, that's the... Took that to a really dark place. Um, so anyways... Uh, um, okay. There's so, like 35 more minutes of shit happens. And then yeah, no, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy brings up it. She's like, oh, Mr. Hayes, I've been reading Arts of Darkness. You yeah. know, so I can get me my brain good. I don't even know why he's British. He's not really. He's really in Brooklyn. Hey, Mr. Hayes, I've been reading Arts of Darkness. It's good. Um, Okay, so they, like, uh, basically there's this sort of semi-drama of, like, you know, Englehorn figuring out that where they're going, and they threaten to turn around a couple of times. And So like, where did he think they were going? I, th- I, th- I think he said it a couple of times that they were going to, like... Singapore. Singapore. Okay, yeah. so he still thought Singapore. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so instead which is kind of keeping with the original film yeah. the idea that it was you know somewhere in near Malaysia Indonesia somewhere with there are a lot of islands mm-hmm. there um, yeah so there's there's sort of some tension there and you know without that you wouldn't there would be no conflict for this first hour of the movie of course obviously what everyone has said is just like we'll just cut the first hour of the movie down to 15 minutes, which is what it was in the original. And maybe there was a way he could have done that and made it work. Um, I mean, this kind of seems a little bit like, at least not in terms of greatness, but in terms of like, well, now I've painted myself in the corner, and that's kind of uh, like the... um, the film Deer Hunter, where there's that 45-minute waiting sequence, (laughs) where it's like, when if you tried to watch the film without it, you wouldn't understand what they lost. Right. So while I certainly do not put to, uh, King Kong in that category, however, the way it was written, it kind of makes sense in its own messed up way. Yeah. Makes sense. That's like, well, we've already established this broad world, so now we have to like fill it in so that way... Yeah. There's tension you know, kind of later. They're on the island for like an hour and a half, and they're back in New York for at least a half an hour. Yes. So I think, it, it, in a weird way, it just it, it would have been too much. Like, it's already arguably too much, like, action. Yeah. But, like, if you would have only had, like, 15 or 20 minutes of them on the boat, and then, like, two solid hours of action sequences... I, I don't know. I think it would yeah. have tired people out in a way that it doesn't Or it would now. have felt rushed. Yeah. Whereas right. the original King Kong had its action sequences and non-action sequences at a, a well-paced level. Or right. maybe even, you know, if you throw out, you know, uh, Monster Zero or something like that. Right. Where it's like everything was balanced in a way where you could have, you know, really strong characters and really good action at the same time. Uh, like I said, I don't think King Kong that way, but in its own way, in it, based on its own rules, it kind of makes sense. Um, so, basically, Englehorn is 
about to turn the boat around, and then they start. I guess they notice fog. The force. The, uh, for- the yeah, force yeah. guides them to Skull Island. Yeah, the, the force of the plot yeah. like, pulls them <laughs> it's to just Skull like, Island. Oh, you can't turn around. It's not in the script. <laughs> right. And um, they, and, and you know, we haven't really commented, but the special effects are incredible. And, yes. and the amount yeah. of work that they went into to make the even the venture, the boat, is like amazing. And, you know, much to Peter Jackson's credit, he filmed on real film. And whenever possible, and he learned this on the Lord of the Rings, he used miniatures. Yeah. And I think that is definitely in keeping yeah. with the spirit of, of, you know, this program. Yeah. That, you know, miniatures over CG whenever possible. Yeah, and that's why this film, I don't care for it that much, will last it'll longer. That It will age better than, you know, two and clones. three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly surprised at how well yeah. the, a lot of the special effects it held up. Well, it's just, you know, film has just a better range of quality that has just been proven over and over again will last. You know, it's not that there's never been bad stocks of film out, um, but it just, it lasts better. And if you look at episodes two and three of the prequels, they were shot on DV tape. And after years go by, it's like, yep, that looks like it was shot on DV tape. Yeah. It's like, and everything around it just looks Bank. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, we kind of are ending the uh, the boat trip sequence now, and uh, they essentially run ashore of these uh, stone monoliths that are jut- jutting out of the ocean. Yeah. And 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 it becomes clear that they are part of this this larger landmass that is. Um, Skull Island. Um, now we got Alan Horn, uh, who did a lot of stuff on the Lord of the Rings, um, and he's a, he's a really cool um, you know designer and stuff, and um, legendary in his own right. He designed Skull Island in this movie in conjunction with a couple of other uh, artists, just in the conceptualization of like the the wall is uh, what's happening is. The wall was originally went all the way around the the top of the island, and mm-hmm. essentially what it was was it was a giant super modern city inside the wall, and the wall was built to keep everything on the outside from getting in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's why for the rest of the movie, like for example, with the Brontosaurus stampede chase, yeah, there's sort of that that kind of you know corridor that they're running down it doesn't yeah, quite like look castle. like a valley yeah it's because it's supposed to be like a street hmm. it's supposed to be like an ancient street that is then everything has kind of grown over it but like um and and the idea is that skull island is sinking and so then now it's just the very tip of it is is out of the water and that's what we see in the movie but it was originally like 50 times bigger mm-hmm. or something which is pretty cool yeah but uh, it, that explains why these things are, are coming out of the water. They're not, they're not naturally occurring rock no, they're things. Like they're like statues of skulls. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, you, if, you, if you look at them, a lot of them are, have like horrifying... Yeah, there are a lot of skulls. ...visages <laughs> of faces uh, screaming. So uh, some, some cool detail there. And uh, basically they... they <laughs> basically they get... Uh, 
what I don't want to say marooned, but the the, the the ship runs aground. I guess. Yeah. Is the word is the term. So while they're trying to figure out how to repair the boat and get away, that's what Angle that's Anglehorns wants to go goal. away. Whereas Jack Black and t- and crew immediately head towards the island. Right. And, um, and Anglehorn states flatly is like, you know, to hell with denim. Yeah. If we're gonna figure out how to get the ship you know, yeah. ready to go. And this we're is a here. motif. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a motif. I hate denim. I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, right. Okay. So they end up on the island and they find uh, a more, kind of a little bit more like uh, 76 is King Kong. They find kind of, well, at first looks abandoned and then they realize to their horror that it's uh, filled with uh, natives, uh, who <sighs> we went over in 1933's King Kong that <laughs> the treatment of the natives were definitely you know stereotypes, you know, and there's no way around that. There's no way around it. In this, however, it changes the idea from them being you know just stereotypical superstitious people um, to just monsters. Like, I feel overall, like, I felt like... They went in the opposite direction, and I think to the negative effect. Yeah. In the original, you kind of feel for the idea that, like, well, their ceremony was ruined, and due to their ideology, naturally they have to get Fey Ray, or else Kong will kill them. Like, that, that is what they're thinking. That... You can loosely see applied to this, but not really. It's just these are people who just, you know, they're just like, oh, we just wait around for, you know, people to come so that way we can kill them and sacrifice them. Well, even the know? way they look. It, yeah. It's like, because the makeup, because they did yeah. the, the, like, black makeup on all of them, which doesn't look natural. Yeah. they're trying to match everybody. And yeah. And that looks strange. And the yeah. way they're shot is actually very similar to a lot of the orcs throughout yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. i wrote down it turns yeah turning the natives into orcs like they they aren't meant to be sympathized with no and you have like exaggerated facial features like the teeth and like yeah the blind. it's 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 uh, like you know it's an uncomfortable it's definitely uncomfortable. yeah and and yeah and i think it almost would have been better a if you just excise this portion of the movie which you really can't if you're doing King Kong because, like, Anne has to be sacrificed by the people and have all the stuff with the wall. Or just have it with the natives being like, please, for God's sakes, do not go to the other side of the wall. And, of course, you know, Denim would just be like, well, pfft, what, what, what are they right. afraid of, like a bear or something? Right. You know, and they go and the natives are like, you know, good luck. You know, I mean, I could see that happen. That would be a legitimate, like, you know, the naivety of, you know, the quote-unquote civilized people, you know, right. who go in thinking that they can conquer whatever and finding the hard way that, you know, the power of nature or something like that. But the, this... The one thing that does seem fairly clearly communicated in this that wasn't necessarily necessarily 100% clear in the original was that these people are not organized enough to have built certainly the wall, but none of the ruins inside the city itself. It's like, that's definitely, we're seeing evidence of two different, like, civilizations living on this yeah. island. Because 
these natives depict it, they do look like orcs, and they're like, I think they're cannibals. I mean, they got like, because like you see human skulls and stuff yeah, all, all the over the place. Yeah. So, like, it's definitely whatever it is, it's a society that's fallen into hard times. Yeah. And, uh, or they're what's <laughs> remain, or they were, you know, I don't know, it's like a metaphor for the Garden of Eden. They were yeah. in paradise inside the castle. Now yeah, they're reduced yeah, now to being been cast outside. Out. And, um, um the, the, you know, um, Peter Jackson mentioned that they might be the ancestors of a Norwegian shipping vessel that crashed ashore and just were forced to inbreed with one another, which okay. doesn't make sense. That makes no sense. <laughs> they are speaking Norwegian. Yeah. Uh, sort of like a scenario. There's a, a book and then a movie called The Lost Continent, which uh, is sort of like that where some Spanish conquistadors get stuck in uh, seaweed for like, 500 years and they sort of develop into kind of being sort of monstrous or whatever but like you don't really get that vibe from this and again it does seem like in peter jackson's i guess flawed logic to make it less offensive by making the natives even more extreme and and taking it clearly you know he wants to take it away from having it be a stereotype of like the generic uh, movie natives yeah. and turn them into monsters but by doing that in a, he actually makes it way more offensive yeah yeah <laughs> so you're so. you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't if you make king kong you have to have this scene and it's we've this is like the fifth time we've talked about this yeah. it's just super awkward um um Oh, but and then uh, they killed the sound guy. Mike. Yeah, they mm. killed the sound guy. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> so Nate... Clearly, he didn't know what he was doing. Um, uh, <laughs> clearly, he, he was clearly just ripping off denim. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it was just like, yeah, sure, this will record. Yeah, no problem. Um, Crystal sync. What that? Um, well, the captain who had no, you know, declared that he didn't care as you know, then comes to the rescue by you know slaughtering. Natives. Yeah, they're oh. about to like sacrifice uh, Carl Denham. They're about yeah. to like bust his head open. Yeah, and in like that weird jumpy slow mo. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the orc which was like yeah, it's like it's like the, it's like, like the Saruman vision. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it was like yeah, the, the shadow or whatever. It makes very little sense, but it actually... makes. I really want to watch the Lord of the Rings movies again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to be honest, I enjoyed that sequence. Like, I liked kind of the, the massacre thing. Like, it was cool, but it just looked so weird. Yeah, like, it's like, the technique is great, but, you know, that's the and, same with Birth of a Nation. You know, the technique yeah. was great, but what it's depicting is horrifying. Um, <laughs> and it was, you know, and it was a very effective sequence. It is it is horrifying. It was, I remember seeing it in the theater, and that's it scared the shit out of me. Mm. Like, it was like, because it's upsetting, you know? Well, and it was nice to have that. Like, that's really the point where I feel like, okay, the movie's happening. Yeah, the movie starts so It's been so slow up to this point, and it's like, it gets really violent and visceral, and all of a sudden, like, people are dying, and we don't have to keep track of as many characters. Yeah, thank God. Uh, (laughs) Hayes and Jimmy do survive this initial conflict because they are uh, on the boat still. So, that's the Hayes and Jimmy update. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... I think they need a Twitter page. Yeah, <laughs> at Hayes and Jimmy. You know, um, getting pancakes at IHOP. Hashtag, yeah. <laughs> hashtag Hayes. You know, um, at least a sitcom on TGIF, you know, where at the end of every episode, Hayes sits down, Jimmy be like, Jimmy, this week's life lesson... 
you know, you gotta rely on your friends, you gotta tell the truth. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mr. Hayes. Next time I'll remember that. <laughs> You're my best friend. Thank you for allowing me to still work on the boat there. I'll go clean up the Sumerian rat monkey cages now. All right, Jimmy. We'll see you next time. I love you for some reason. That's never established. Um, so, anyways. Uh, yeah, so Englehorn quickly changes, uh, they quickly changes back, as people mm-hmm. sometimes do. Yes. Like uh, Mr. Burns did on that one episode of The Simpsons. Yes. And uh, he's like, fuck you, Denim. But I'm, I will save you and put everyone else's life at risk. Yeah. But now we're definitely leaving. And, yeah. uh, ooh, this is where they do the pole vaulting yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Pole vaulting, which is, um, it, yeah, different, yeah, different and cool and, and unique to yeah. this version of Kong. And I thought really effective and, like, uh, super hardcore. And, uh, and yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. Yeah, that was pretty into that. Um, but the natives use the, the rock monoliths, uh, much like, uh, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward and the girl from Tremors do in the film Tremors. Uh, they pull vote from rock to rock because they can't touch the ground. And uh, the, one of the natives' emissaries does this to to get on back on board in, in sort of the dead of night to get Anne, or kidnaps Anne, which we're sort of seeing. We see one of the crew members get killed. Uh, Jack Driscoll kind of stumbles onto like one of the crew members' dead bodies and he sees Anne's room and it's all... You know, items are strewn about, yes. uh, indicating a struggle. And uh, this is just when Englehorn gets the ship started. Yeah. And I think all things being equal, he probably should have just kept going. Yeah. Because, okay, <laughs> one crew member dead and then Anne kidnapped, probably killed. But, like, almost all the crew members get slaughtered on this island. Yeah. Um, but anyways. It's a big crew. Yeah. It's a big crew. <laughs> but Jack Driscoll's like, we gotta save Anne. And because all the seamen love Anne Darrow, they're like, Come on, we have to, you know, this trip this would is, truly be unbearable without Anne around. This so is why go back. women and semen don't mix. I'm just going to put that out there like uh, Smithers did in the <laughs> King Kong episode of Treehouse of Horror. We can't go anywhere without the bait. I mean, the bay, the bathing beauty. Yes, covered that one up pretty well. Uh, so, I was walking through the gas one day. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, so... I would have really liked to see the Peter Jackson version of the gas grenades. I'm sort of, I'm sort of, yeah. Sad we were that they cheated didn't go. that they just yeah. went with chloroform after everything yeah. else was like heightened. Yeah, exactly. Made more like I you thought know, it'd ooh. be like a grenade launcher or yeah. whatever, and there'd be like a 15 minute sequence of Jack Black on a hang glider yeah. shooting <laughs> Some him with kind of like steampunk like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, alas, just yeah, chloroform, just, chloroform. It's just jars of chloroform. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Anne gets kidnapped. They have, and very quickly, and the pacing gets super tight in yeah. like this 15 minutes of the movie. They, I think that's due to the fact that Peter Jackson does not want to linger on this on the native sequences at all. Yeah. So the, all that stuff is like real quickly done with, and they uh, hoist Anne down, and they do this really cool thing where she like she's tied up, but there's sort of a bridge that's lowered down to that part of the island over a chasm, uh, which sort of acts as a double deterrent for Kong to stay out. So, like, everything makes sense. The production design is all pretty airtight uh, there. And, uh, you know, we have the, the third time we've seen this now, Kong coming out through the trees and and getting and getting Anne, scooping her up. Yep. 
and uh, the guys make landfall. Um, the only one just that, in time, yeah. and the only one who sees it is Jack Black. Yeah. Um, and you know they uh, the the search begins. Anglehorn says you've got twenty four hours. Yeah. To uh, to find them, which he then of course goes back on, but whatever. Anglehorn does that a lot in this movie. Yeah, where yeah. He's like gives several them characters fake due dates. Yeah. But uh, so here is the first major. Digression. If you're watching the rig- the regular version or the extended cut, if you're watching the regular version, they they just go and they have the uh, the confrontation with the uh, the brontosauruses. But if you're watching um, the extended cut, there's a additional scene with the it looks like a triceratops, it's a, but it's like more like a quad or a centeratops, pentaceratops, pentatops. Because it's like this this thing with like the the sh- basic shape and like you know the yeah. uh, the horned plating uh, of of the uh, of the triceratops, but it comes in and attacks the guys for a while, and I can see why they cut it. It doesn't accomplish anything, and it was more, a well done sequence. It's yeah, a well it's, done it's sequence, fun. but it's also kind of unbelievable that like. Almost everyone survives yeah. that. Well, it, the dinosaur goes down really fast. Like, yeah. Like, just yeah. spray some yeah. machine gun fire and it goes down. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, you kind of would assume that, you know, a bullet would do that. You would think so, but, like, when they're firing into its face, that's all bone. Oh, yeah. And yeah. everyone has a Tommy gun now, yeah. which, yeah. god yeah. damn it, that's my favorite thing in the world when it's a, when it's a movie from the 1930s or 40s and there's, like... Back uh, off, Tony. Uh, watch me. No, spit. no, and like, <laughs> there's a scene where it's like, break out the Tommy guns. Yeah. <laughs> like, because Tommy guns, that's my favorite kind of gun, and uh, they, they hey, got them in spades in this movie. Hey, it's <laughs> machine guns you can hold, you know, yeah, yeah. from Scarface, the thirty-three. Yeah, was yeah, thirty-three. Yeah, I think Scarface came out the same year as King Kong. Anyway, sorry. So yeah, Paul um, Muni. Um, with that caveat, I will say, slight logic problem. <laughs> 20 minutes ago in the movie back when they were stuck and they were trying to lighten the ship and Englehorn's like throw over everything that isn't bolted down and they do and they have this sequence where they're throwing like cabinets and beds and yeah. all this shit Andy Circus the- almost got killed during this scene by the way because he jumped in and out of the water at the wrong time and got knocked by the water over the edge and onto this net. The net was just put there to hold the things that the actors were throwing over, and the actors didn't know, so they kept throwing, like, fucking, like, chest cabinets and armoires and, like, all this stuff, and, like, narrowly avoiding Andy Serkis as he was just sort of, like, rolling around in this net. This really happened. Andy Serkis almost died for this movie. But anyways, it's this whole thing where they're like, throw everything over the side! You know, the age-old thing, throw everything out so we can lighten the ship to free it. And, um, and they do, and they get free, and this is, this is when Anne gets kidnapped from the pole vaulting uh, native. But... Anne gets kidnapped, they go back to the island, but before they do, they're like, break out the Tommy guns! And yeah. it's like, they have an, enough weapons on the ship that they haven't thrown overboard to orbit Arnold Schwarzenegger, if I can borrow a line from Die Hard, and that, if, they ha- if this scene hadn't taken place immediately after the scene where they're like, throw everything <laughs> overboard that we don't absolutely 100% need, except for... The six tons of, of, of machine guns. Yeah. So that and mind sort you again, of... they aren't looking for Kong in this film. No. They're just going to an island to maybe find a bear, tiger. It looks something. like they're going to be setting up 
from the amount of Tommy guns they have, a sort of a prequel to Invasion USA with Chuck Norris <laughs> type scenario. Um, but, but maybe uh, there like was Invasion a Singapore. It was, it was Invasion USA 1957 where the Soviets invade. Aha. Yeah, yeah. John Milius must have watched that as a kid. Probably. Um, <laughs> so, like... Yeah, okay, that that was a glaring logic yeah. when I saw that. I'm like, why the fuck did they throw away any of these guns? Yeah. <laughs> like, guns are really heavy. But anyways, it doesn't matter. They're on the island now, and uh, someone shoots the quintaratops in the face, and it goes down yeah, it was like very easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was Hayes. Uh, so, yeah, and that's that's part of the extended cut. Um, just the, the part with the triceratops, not the part with the weight and the gun still being on. That's yeah. in the real movie. Um, so then, um, so yeah, so then they uh, make their way through what bugs and you know giant mosquitoes, yeah. and then they which looks like they'd be dead in like two minutes. Like all of them would be dead. Yeah, like they'd have like minutes. super malaria or something. <laughs> <laughs> like there's Mario Brothers, and then there's Super Mario Brothers. They would all have super malaria. Yeah, <laughs> super malaria brothers. Um, so yeah, so then they end up in like the, the inner part of the castle, and this is like juxtaposed with, I believe, uh, Anne being like taken. Yeah, like uh, Kong takes, and he like there's a scene where he's contemplating murdering her, and you see other sacrifices yeah. that have been yeah. murdered, like their skeletons and stuff, and it's it goes yeah. on for a while too. Yeah, yeah. He's just yeah. making this weird. So I guess, motion and I, I guess the only reason why he saves her is because <laughs> she stabs him, and you know he's never been told no before. Yeah, and like he likes it. And, well, he yeah, likes it. he likes he, the punishment. Well, yeah, and he gets frustrated a lot. And Kong makes a lot in this movie what I refer to as the bitter beer face, <laughs> uh, and that's from the magic of Andy Circus and all those little dots that they painted on him or whatever. But like very expressive, and yes, Kong is going through some strange emotions. You definitely get the sense yeah. that he's being forced to think. Yeah, about he something. can't. He can't just be a nice guy. You know, yeah. he can't just like show. I have stuff and then expect people to like you. He has to actually, you know, try. Right, right. Uh. <laughs> uh, so then there's a brontosaurus uh, holocaust. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's all it is. This is just a brontosaurus holocaust. It's just they, they show, uh, they're all trying to rest, you know, I've got five minutes, says Mr. Hayes. Um, you know, who, who's really like the only person of, you know, media, you know, any, any intelligence of this. If it weren't for his fatal attraction to Jimmy, you know, if this was just, you know, a gay thing, it would be completely fine. Yeah, but, I never read yeah. it as a sexual thing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like... It's an intense, like, forced-upon mentor-mentee yeah, it's like, relationship. You know, if, they, if it maybe, you know, I mean, the movie's already, you know, three and a half hours long. They might as well at least, you know, said, like, you know, my son died of, you know, malaria, and now you're the only thing I have, you know. You're my new son now, Jimmy, yeah. aren't you? I, I, I guess I am, Mr. Hayes. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, in for the penny, in for the pound, exactly. I mean. That sounds agreeable to me, Mr. Hayes. Yes. <laughs> you say that? You want to be my son? You're my son now, Jimmy? <laughs> You're my new son. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. So, so, uh, so he so tells, they, they, him, he tells he, him to rest. He rest, and then Jack Black goes off with the cameraman. Who, by the way, like, why does he need a cameraman if he's doing all the camera work himself? I, to, I to to relegate someone to lug it around right. all the time. Someone's, he's the director. Someone's got to carry the tripod. Anyways, so. it's airtight, Nathan. <laughs> Now that the sound man has been killed, you've got nothing <laughs> to complain about. 
anyways. Anyway, so yeah, so uh, he, he takes uh, not Driscoll uh, and has him like, you know, you got to get in front of the brontosaurus. And you see, without the pentaceratops scene, this is like the first like, ooh, dinosaurs moment. Um, so he has him like try and walk into the foreground so that way they can establish that yes they are indeed in the same shot and they're not fake um and that coincidentally coincides with a group of raptors trying to eat the brontosauruses so they uh immediately run towards and this is like the the wildebeest scene in um lion king but more horrifying because i know slightly (laughs) off topic but that wildebeest scene from the lion king Mm -hmm was translated into an excellent video game level in the Super Nintendo uh, Lion King. Video right, game. Like, that was actually remember? a really good game. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing game, amazing movie. All right, that's right. So if he would ask you to continue and you said yes, then uh, Rafiki would say he has returned. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. It was a great game. Um, anyways, so yeah, the... This is one of the parts, and Ian, you were you had some thoughts on this this scene. Yeah, there's it's just this is one of the points where the special effects do actually bother me. It mm. looks very very CG, and some of the sequences where you've got the people against the stomping legs, and everyone somehow survives, which makes not a whole lot of sense, particularly when you've got like Jack Black doing this weird cartoon run thing yeah. and it's just sort of well their legs in the background sort of around not really attached mm. much just yeah. sort of like churning them around and it must have just been a nightmare to animate i'm sure it was it's just it, it looks there was a similar uh, sequence in return of the king under the oliphants yeah but that was Which done is what so this sparsely. was based on but, yeah they were like oh we have the scene where the two oliphants crash into each other and it was like the highlight of return of the king let's just do that times like seven or eight brontosauruses all and it's just it it does it is too much plus well, you have the added layer of like you know raptors trying to get the brontosaurus and then trying to get the people yeah yeah you know, yeah, I do like the design of the raptors yeah. and all the dinosaurs because they look outdated and like mean. They they yeah. look like dinosaurs from the 1930s, not from like Jurassic Park, where yeah. they're, like all the latest, you know, paleontology science and what they're supposed to look yeah, like. No, they and just look evil. They yeah, look they... cool and evil. Like the V Rex uh, has like sca- like alligator scales yeah. on it. Mm. Which, like, dinosaurs didn't have alligator scales yeah. <laughs> on them, you know? But these guys do, because that's what we thought dinosaurs looked like in the 30s. So, yeah. like, this is the interpretation of that. It's not based on the latest science. Um, when you get some good close-ups of them, like that one point where the raptor's hanging out above the one actor. Uh, yeah, not, not Kyle, Kyle Chandler Kyle as yeah. Bruce Baxter. Bruce, Bruce Baxter. Baxter. Yeah. And you get like the, like the whole close-up of the dinosaur's face. And like, yeah, yeah, that's good and evil yeah. mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, these are not like yeah. animals yeah. that you feel bad when they get killed. I feel yeah. bad when, again, when the brontosauruses get killed, yeah. I feel very bad. Because unlike them. the one in uh, in the original King Kong, these haven't tried to eat Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, these are just like, they were just being brontosauruses. Yeah. Although... It, and it does sort of bring up a problem. It's like the way these species act in 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 this movie, the dinosaur species, 
it's a miracle that they're not already extinct because they all kind of come off as stupid, suicidal, idiot, yeah. monster, it's moron like, meatbags. It's one thing when, like, uh, you know, people drive buffalo off a cliff, but it's another thing when it's just like a couple raptors, like, cause an entire yeah. group. Yeah, you think this would have happened yeah. by now. You know, <laughs> maybe it has. Like, maybe maybe it these has. are the last dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but it is an odd reference to. Um, in uh, The Lost World, the first big film that Willis O'Brien did the special effects right. for, there is a brontosaurus that falls off a cliff, yeah. uh, which they later take to London. Uh, that doesn't happen in this. They just, you know, die. I will say, <laughs> sort of hitting upon what Ian was saying, it does seem like special effects overload when they are running between the legs. It just seems... Too- a step too far. It's it's a little bit too insane. Just because it it not only is it you know from an effect standpoint it doesn't look great because it is just Jack Black on a treadmill covered by CG stuff, but it's also it's the added element of like they would have been killed in like two seconds. The thing that I liken it to is the scene from Episode Two, Attack of the Clones. Where they are in like the droid factory mm. on the conveyor belt, and there's all that crazy shit coming out of them, and any normal human would be killed in like two seconds. This is the same level of like, you know, miracle that they're not killed. So it does that, the level to which they would have died instantly and do not, uh, sort of strikes the viewer as like preposterous. Um, but all that being said, there is a very nice Jamie Bell. You know, as as Jimmy, he's, he's running, and it's sort of an homage to the opening of DuckTales, where, like, the ground is falling out from under yes. him. Whenever they do that shit yeah. in the movie, that's the best shit ever. They do it a little bit in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and uh, it's fucking awesome. And that shot alone justifies the whole sequence, <laughs> in my mind. I'm like, no, nope, it's not a total loss. Again, there's nothing officially wrong with it. Let's just, you know, so let's just, and there's some really great let's parts. salvage what we can. Right, sort of a microcosm just, of the whole movie, you know. There's like, there's some, there's some amazing shit going on here, okay? Just look past, and, and again, don't dwell on the 15 brontosauruses that are all piled up and, like, their legs <laughs> are all, like, tangled just, together. This is the whole yeah, point where the giant. one finally goes down and just keeps rolling yeah. and rolling. Yeah. It's, like, it's very sad. It is. It's spectacular and sad at the same time. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, so then uh, Anne uses her vaudevillian skills to stave off uh, Kong. Her toughest critic. Uh, her her largest, largest critic. Her biggest from, fan. From, uh, from killing uh, her yeah and uh and and you know makes makes him laugh which is good and um, the animation on kong's face is stunning and, and and amazing stuff amazing stuff there and uh you know kong's he's all scarred up which i really appreciated and it's you know he's he's clearly the last of his kind like right. and um the, the design on him, which obviously needs to be, is the title character, and in many ways the main character, and the most sympathetic character in the whole movie. Um, and, yeah, they nailed it. Nailed it with him. Nailed it out of the park. In, in, in a way that they did not in the 1998 Godzilla. Um, uh, so, anyways... Uh, then we cut back to what's left of the people who survived the Brontosaurus Holocaust are now going across a, uh, a swamp. I should mention, 
at the original King Kong was an hour and 44 minutes and 22 seconds. At that point in New King Kong, we're at the swamp. Right. In the extended edition, <laughs> we're still in the swamp. Yeah. That's just... Is that a metaphor there? there, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> stuck I in a quagmire? Stuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, they went in. <laughs> uh, and if you're watching the extended edition, the, the scene in the swamp is about seven or eight minutes longer. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite a bit longer. And there's, yeah. there's like a... And this part is a little... The part where, where Adrian Brody falls under the water. Yeah. And that seemed very sluggish and something out of... Phantom like Menace. a worse movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, that part genuinely does not work. Um, it almost works. I can definitely see what they're going for, but it just seems a little too, I don't know, stagey yeah. or something. Um, but but anyway, so the ones that make it to the other side do. Yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a giant fish yeah. in the swamp that like eats a couple of people. And it eats all the film to the camera. They still have the camera at this point. But, um, anyways. Did you get the shot? <laughs> Cut back to Anne. And she escapes from Kong for the first time. And um, she's sort of walking around the jungle. And I really appreciate I really appreciate this. They, they had a... Uh, the, I think they're called Wetasauruses or whatever. They're, it's like a unique dinosaur that they designed for this movie and it's clearly a callback to like in like those super terrible like d or z movies where they were just like the giant gila monster yeah they would just have a gila Mm. monster or a komodo dragon or whatever be like the monster and like glue maybe some spikes or some fins Mm -hmm. or like whatever evil eyebrows onto it or whatever and just sort of push it across you know a sandbox and have a couple of fake cactuses and be like this is our monster <laughs> this is like these guys are yeah. clearly an homage to that yeah uh, it's a really good looking giant monster yeah, yeah it's, it's glued awesome to it. now here's another issue which i guess for a fantasy and, film and, and, i and, normally sorry and Anne is being chased by those things yes okay go now <laughs> uh, they start chasing her uh, one of them does and it's clearly because it's hungry. Okay? And like I said, in most action films, I can ignore stuff like this. But <laughs> most action films aren't this long. So, anyways. So, the, the Gila monster, the Komodo dragon, Wetasaurus, whatever, is chasing after her because he's hungry and his friend is eating and he's not. Well, then it gets eaten yeah. by uh, the, the, the baby, the puppy V-Rex. V-Rex, okay. Now, Anne, you know, because she hates bugs, leaves the safety of the, the bark and um, is spotted by the V-Rex. Oh, now, I think I know what you're going to say. That V-Rex is has eating. A fu- is eating. Yeah, it has, it eating. you know, a week's worth of food in its right, mouth. Right. But for some reason... No, no, I've got the reason right <laughs> okay. here. I've got the reason. Unlike the Jaws... Force. First of all, also, I'd like to say in Jaws, Jaws... Or Bruce the shark, as he's alternatively yeah. known, eats Quint and then immediately is trying to eat Brody. Yes, again. But the difference okay. is, is that that movie is what two hours long tops. But I don't know. Okay, length doesn't negate like evil monster logic. The reason why, <laughs> the reason why Bruce the shark is trying to eat Brody is because he's evil. The reason why this Wetasaurus or gets eaten by the V Rex and then the V Rex, while it's still eating the Wetasaurus. Yes. 
is trying to go and eat Andero is because it's mean and it's a movie dinosaur and it's evil. Nate, if you try to like the Nature Channel, Discovery Channel, your way out of this shit. It's gonna fall apart. And guess what? Dinosaurs are also extinct. Yeah, that wasn't realistic. That part of the movie doesn't hold up either. I know. So but the thing is, in Jaws, I'm entertained. Jaws is an entertaining movie. In for a pound. I was pretty entertained by this. That part, like the B-Rex running while still eating. It's like goat dinosaur. It's like yeah, that's how evil it is. That's how mean it is. It's just mean. It's so evil it wastes food. I mean, it's just like he was still eating. You know, yeah, he's still yeah. Stop eating. a uh, fan that's taking Springfield by storm, wasting food. <laughs> More of that at eleven. Right? It all comes back to the Simpsons. No, it's just it's a, it's it's because it, it has to because it the has to kill the to. weather thing, and then it has to and it has to lead into the try B Rex fight, which is amazing. Uh, and shot for yes. shot, what Peter Jackson planned out in 1996, and one of the few things that survived in in its entirety. Uh, and it's it features a, a a family of these, and we, we we've been calling them V Rexes, and that's because they're not T Rexes. And 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 one of the design elements of this movie was Peter Jackson. He, you know, he told people that like in addition to what we already said about like the dinosaurs looking like you know old fashioned like yeah. mean or angry looking like terrible thunder lizard uh, dinosaurs. Also. Uh, in, in addition to that idea, was also the concept that these were a group of dinosaurs that were isolated from the rest of dinosaurs 65 million years ago and were yeah. allowed to continue evolving. Yeah. So now you have this thing that was a T-Rex back in the Cretaceous period when they had the little T-Rex arms, and now it actually has bigger arms, like the, like the arms that have some use to them mm-hmm. from the original King Kong. Yeah. So, like... That so there's no longer a T Rex, it's now the V Rex, and that's how he refers to them. So it's the Tri V Rex fight, in which you have a family of, of V Rexes. You've got a little, little baby puppy V Rex, which looks like a full size Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, and then you've got like the the bowl of the family, like the you know the, the strong you know in his prime uh, V Rex, and then you've got the the matriarchal V Rex, and they all come in and and. Um, the the reveal of the second one is is amazing. Yeah, like very well done. I think probably the coolest part of the movie. Yeah. that has tension. Yeah. yeah, that there's a lot of tension there. Yeah, um, unlike King Kong '76, <laughs> where there was where no the, where t- the snake was being. Yeah, just like dragged by ropes. On yeah, camera. <laughs> yeah, just like oh no, a snake! No, oh no, it's a it's a pillow shaped like a snake. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> oh, well, save us. Uh, so yeah, the um, you know, and 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 Anne is almost eaten by these V Rexes, and then Kong comes out of nowhere and like a superhero, like and and saves the day. And this fight is fucking great. And it goes so on good. for twenty minutes. Yeah. And it is the reason this movie exists. It's the reason yeah. the movie exists. Yeah. And I'll go a step further, and I'll say, look. You know, whatever crazy thing they come up with for Godzilla versus King Kong or King Kong versus Godzilla 2020 or 2021 or whenever it comes out eventually, um, we've already seen Kong, a, a perfect, a near perfect or perfect version of King Kong fighting three 
Tyrannosaurus Rex like monsters at the same time. So they have their work cut out for them with yeah. that with mm-hmm. the fight in that movie because this fight is pretty much flawless and and the staging of it, the fact that you know the the stages of it, yeah. you know, and the stakes get raised, the stakes get raised, lowered in this case. Right, they get, yeah. you know, they go they further down. Forward. There's all the stuff on the vines, and there's like genuinely like amazing shots of like when uh, when Andero hits the vines and all the bats come up yeah. and stuff. And there's just great, great stuff going on here, um, and the viciousness, which I think. You know, there's been a lot of horror elements in the movie thus far, but I really like they sort of reinstated the the viciousness of of Kong himself, mm-hmm. with the specific ways in which he kills each V Rex. Mm-hmm. Like he crushes one with a giant boulder to the face. Yeah. Uh, the other one, I forget how he kills that one. There's so much shit going on. Maybe he just breaks its neck. But the last one, he rips its tongue out. Like, he, he pulls its tongue out with his teeth. Yeah. Which is like Walking Dead Season 5 shit there. I mean... And then breaks like, its face. And it like breaks yeah. its face. Yeah. And, does, and still does the thing yeah, with the, the, with the mouth. Like, yeah. Toying, yeah, toying with the jaw, opening and closing the jaw. Which is great. Just yeah. fantastic. That's so good.
back to Jimmy and Mr. Hayes walking through the jungle. <laughs> Talking well, about uh, All right, the I'm furniture gonna... they want to get from Ikea. Um... <laughs> well, Jimmy, it'll take a good eight hours to get all this furniture. <laughs> all right, Ethan. <laughs> Easy, big fella. Um, That's what Jimmy I, says. I think <laughs> this, yes, they go into the... Um, well, after that, well, after he kills the last V-Rex, this is when, like, Kong throws oh, Anne yeah, over the, the sh- over thing. the shoulder, mm-hmm. and so now she's up on his shoulder, and so they're like a team now. Yeah, like a Starsky and yeah, Hutch she, type. Because she has to actually like chase him down. Like he leaves, and then she runs after him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a good character moment, mm-hmm. and then, and then we have the log sequence, <clears throat> which is. Slight, it just, I feel like the log scene is slightly shortchanged because of all this other crazy shit around it. Yeah. So it's not as spectacular as it could have been, even though it's created almost beat for beat, uh, the original. But it seems like to top it or to equal, like the Peter Jackson version of the log sequence, there should have been like four logs that they should have fallen yeah. onto. Yeah. And Kong should have been, like, breaking them with, like, his teeth and, like, punching at them or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you just had that T-Rex thing. Yeah. So it's, like, it's going to be, and, there's always going to be a sense of, like, a little bit of a letdown there. And this is where he adds, in this movie, under its rules, it works. And that is the spider sequence. The spider, the spider pit, pit sequence. sequence. Whereas... For years, many people, and I, I think I mentioned this in the 33 episode, uh, about the Lost Sequence, people have been fetishizing and searching for it for, you know, over 70 years now. Peter Jackson himself recreated yeah. it under the original conditions, and it's an yeah. optional deleted scene on the King Kong 1933 yeah. DVD, which is like yeah. crazy. Yeah. He's got a documentary about the Spider Pit sequence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't hinder this film, but for that, for the original film, I'm just like, get over it. It's gone. It, it was cut for a reason. Time. Right. Time is precious. <laughs> and when you don't, and when you are precious with time, you get me ranting and raving about right. stuff like Crystal Sink Sound or, you know, Hungry Dinosaurs or yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy oh, fuck you, Jimmy. That would be ranting about Jimmy if but, it was 20 minutes long. But... <laughs> But that being said, in this film, it works. Okay. I will say it works. All right. It works in its own twisted way, the way it's the universe. Keyword here. In in its universe, it works perfectly. Right. Uh, I hate it, but it's like, okay, (laughs) it it works. (laughs) I hate it. It works. I, I can't say like well. I can't say story wise it doesn't work. It like, like visually the whole shooting it is one of bugs. the most disgusting things I have ever seen. How does Jimmy suddenly know how to shoot Use, off bugs yeah. with pinpoint accuracy? Well, you've got the force. You there got you go. like the giant weevils or whatever, or like the crickets and the 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 slugs, the slugs, the, the mud slug things, um, and that sequence. Leeches, yeah, the leeches, the swamp leeches which i mean they just 
let's let's cut through the bullshit here, gentlemen. They just look like flaccid dicks. Yeah. <laughs> and it is and uncomfortable. nobody likes a flaccid dick. <laughs> right. Not, I think with that we can yes, all agree yeah, on. We can all agree on that. <laughs> right? There's nothing, you know, limp, limp is not allowed. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, like, and it's just, it's, yeah, it seems, this sequence seems like something from hell. Yeah. It seems like, again, if, if the, uh, this is, of if the whole island is like hell, this is like the the heart of hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right here. Because it's just like so grotesque. And there's a scene where, I mean, the, the part where Lumpy gets oh, eaten yeah. by the slugs. It looks like he's getting eaten by giant fleshlights. Yeah. <laughs> it's no good at all. He's not Lumpy anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's... Uh, it's pretty crazy, and, and then also the the, the shooting up by Jimmy. Well, he's got he gets a Tommy gun and he loads it up, and very that is also sort of unbelievable. Yeah, his accuracy and not shooting Adrian Brody because basically what's happening is Adrian Brody's got like fifteen uh, crickets, crickets the size of small dogs on him, and Jimmy shoots all of them off with pinpoint precision. Thanks, yeah. Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> And it's the, um, it was the hat. Mr. Hayes is like, oh yeah, mm, like Kong yeah. picks up Mr. Hayes and turns to Jimmy. And Mr. Hayes turns to Jimmy. He's like, Jimmy, Kong's gonna kill me now. But you have to continue up with your studies. <laughs> the, the SATs are coming up. You gotta run back to the ship and start studying now. And then Kong's just like, what is? Who is this asshole? And like throws him up against the wall. And and Hayes like slowly cocks a pistol. Yeah. Like suddenly, I mean, you might as well have just said, what's the life of all the rings? Run, you fools. Mm -hmm. You know? Fly, you fools. Fly, you fools. (laughs) So, yeah. They, uh, it definitely looks like they're going down. So, Mr. Hayes is dead. Yes. Uh, (laughs) R.I.P. Mr. Hayes. We hardly knew you. Actor Evan Park. Nice work. You did what you could with the script. Yep. He was um, trying. They also killed Charlie, which means that all the minorities are now dead. Yeah. Uh, which is good, because as we learned from the first half of this film, they are not to be trusted. In fact, immediately after watching this film, I told my dad, I'm just uncomfortable around you. You know, the the whole you know, Jewish thing. It's just, uh, I, I just, you know, I'm going to just sit with mom, who's blonde and therefore trustworthy. Wow. Self-hating Jew. Yeah. Shocking, <laughs> shocking revelations on tonight's program. I knew it was going to be a good one. We didn't know how good until now. Nathan, um, when did you start hating your own people? Uh, it started after seeing Passion of the Christ. Uh, I see. <laughs> We're not cutting any of this. Uh, um, all of this my, is in here. It, it's, all it, this it is started when I first ate matzah and realized there's <laughs> no flavor. Matzah's pretty good. It is. It's, it's Ma- matzah's good. It's, uh, uh, it's addictive, surprisingly. Yeah, you, know, you can go through a box in a day, especially if you're a starving college student. Mm-hmm. It tastes really, really good. So, just when it looks like they're all going to get killed by, the, by these creepy crawlies, the bugs... Yeah. Uh, Engelhorn once again comes in and the saves rest. everybody. Uh, and so does uh, not Driscoll. Oh, uh, yeah, Bruce he, Baxter. He, yeah, Bruce Baxter like, somehow yeah. gets his courage, you know, I guess from the wizard, uh, and swings in like Tarzan with a gun. Well, so. It was his idea to come back. Because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the captain. Yeah, Bruce Baxter like, left like yeah. right around the swamp. 
I think before they crossed the swamp. He's like, I'm an actor who's lost his motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he, he found that motivation to lose it, to find it. Uh, yeah. He saves he saves the characters who are left, but unfortunately the fall down the spider pit has left the camera smashed. So now there's no there's no salvaging of this as a film venture, but uh, Jack Black's mind is sort of uh, coming up with a different scheme at this point, and that is, of course, revealed in like two, five minutes. But first, Adrian Brody likes he's like I'm going after Anne or whatever, and he kind of walks off, and then. And then Jack Black's like, yes, and I'm sure that ape's going to be hot on his tail. And he starts kind of twiddling his fingers. Twiddling his fingers. Um, we've got the scene where Kong takes Anne up to his, like, the top of the island and uh, starts teaching Kong a very basic uh, vocabulary of sign language. Um, she bumps on her chest and says, beautiful. Which Kong, I think, you know, it doesn't seem like he picks up at the time, but later on he starts when they start speaking in signs together. Um, and Kong falls asleep, and Anne sort of is sleeping. There's also a bunch of bats that look like the Sumerian rat monkey from Dead mm-hmm. Alive um, around, and uh, those, those bats are so awesome. Um, and quality bats. Quality bats. And, uh, Essentially, Jack comes up, tries to rescue Anne, wakes up Kong. Kong's about to probably eat Jack. I don't know. And um, the bats, for some the bats reason, for some attack. reason, even though they had been there yeah. the whole time, yeah, uh, it's just like, well, time to take down the the big ape. So uh, they do, um, yeah. And this kind of, I mean, story wise, it works because the you know the, it replaces the pterodactyl, right? From um, that, that's spelled with a T. Yeah. yeah, but again, they had to. The problem was they modernized the scene from 19, 1933. You can just show Jack and Anne jumping down, and falling like a mile into yeah. the river, and no questions asked because yeah. like stuff was crazy back then. Yeah. But, but like, not if now. you do that now, that's too much. Yeah. So what do you need? Well, you need this. Bat thing, so I guess now instead of fighting a pterodactyl, Kong's gonna fight the bats. Why haven't the bats ever attacked Kong before? Uh, don't ask that question. Yeah. I, like they, I like to think that they, they have. Like, Kong just fights random things all day. Like, <laughs> all that's, this, that's how he keeps constantly. in shape. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's his exercise program. You know? So, anyways, yeah, he fights the bats. I don't know if it makes sense. But uh, they and, grab onto a bat. Yeah, Carl and they, or Jack and Ann. Yeah, hitch a ride. On and that bat. lands them in water. Which yeah, I was surprised at this point that like some big monster didn't immediately hit <laughs> the two of them. It's right. like this is this river does seem to be the only spot of Skull Island that isn't infested with like instant death monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the same in the '33 version. So yeah. you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. So, uh, Kong, yeah, hot on their trails. Uh, they make their way back. Kong, um, breaks through. Yeah. In a scene that I will say is significantly less effective than the 1933 version, obviously, but mm-hmm. less than the 1976 version. This is where I got to give it yeah. the Dino De Laurentiis. That scene still holds up and is awesome. This one, 
Kong just sort of explodes through the door, and it's just yeah. yet another, it's you big, know, big yeah. boom. But we've seen a lot of those, whereas in the Dino De Laurentiis, it takes him like five minutes to break down the door. And yeah. so you really feel it. Yeah. Uh, but th- So that that was the one scene... That, I will say when I came when I saw this in the theater, I, I was like pretty disappointed in how quickly that scene was just sort of disposed. Yeah. Was like, oh, he just came through the door. I really thought it was going to be a big, like, operation, and it, yeah. it really isn't. It just sort of kind of plows through it uh, in a way where you you sort of wonder why he's never done that before. But um, he never had Anne before, so it, he's, he didn't have any motivation. He had no motivation. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also they've left the bridge down, so maybe he could climb across the bridge. I guess. But he's shown jumping anyways, so... It's best not to think about it. He gets through (laughs) the other side of the door, and this is when Anne realizes that they're trying to capture Kong, and she immediately goes into, No, he's my best friend! mode. And, uh, like, so many sailors get killed... This is also so much wasted semen. And I know I said that that scene was a letdown, but one of my favorite parts of the movie is Colin Hanks cutting that rope to lower the bridge to let them across. Yeah. And then like having the rope like slice him across the face. Mm-hmm. Cuz just that seems to be like the only realistic scene in the movie cuz the rest of the movie they're doing all this ultra dangerous shit and everyone's fine. No one ever gets like, you know, unless they get explicitly Eaten by a dinosaur or like thrown off a cliff, everyone's pretty much okay. Yeah, you're, it, usually, you're either okay or dead. There's right, right. no in between. There's no, there's no like, <laughs> yeah. So like that, I like, I liked because at least they show the consequences of like, you know, these guys aren't professional mercenaries. This is a film crew, and they're gonna fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so like, yeah, that part was cool, and yes, but uh, then Kong breaks through the other side and like kills quite a few crew members and 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 you know um yeah and the uh, chlor they start chloroforming and then he they they just like oh it's too late let's retreat back to the boats um and then kong follows them and they harpoon him and then he has his basically his first death <laughs> his first death yeah. At what two hours into the film where jack black you know hits him on the face with chloroform and finally yeah, takes three bottles of three chloroform, bottles. and the last one is is directly like, to the face. To the face. Yeah. Um, so, and, yeah. But because before they were, like, breaking it on the ground, but, like, grabbing Kong with the net and forcing him to smell it. Which, for some reason, reminded me of Nicolas Cage in uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, when he was like, You have to watch! You have to watch! <laughs> um... <laughs> Which, if you don't know what's going on in that scene, it's probably better if I don't tell you, because it's pretty uh, duplicitous. Basically, okay, this is a bit of a side tangent, but Nicolas Cage uh, catches these two people. I think they're parked illegally or whatever, or he finds a gun on one of them or whatever, and uh, it's a man and a woman... Or, like, they both, they've got cocaine on them, I yeah. think is what it is. Yeah. So he takes the cocaine and he's like, let's make this right. So he starts uh, having a coitus with the girlfriend right then and there in this parking lot in the middle of New Orleans. And the boyfriend's, like, freaked out. He's like, ah! And he's, like, starting to go away. And then Nicholas Cage takes out his gun and points it at the boyfriend. He's like, you have to watch! <laughs> you have to watch! And uh, I don't know. For some reason, I thought of this scene. <laughs> That's how my brain works. 
I never said I wasn't a monster. Uh, feel free to begin judging me now. But uh, anyways, yes. <laughs> very, uh, very upsetting stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, then uh, Denim, played by Jack Black, uh, says, We're millionaires, boys. I'll share it with all of you. Why, in a few weeks, he'll be on the lights on Broadway. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. It fade, fade out, or whatever. Um, hard cut to the, the lights, cut. just like this is the one cut yeah. that was uh, that was maintained from the 1933 version. I had to put an icy hot patch on my arm after this because <laughs> I was so tired from making the jerking off motion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, you mean yeah, an homage to 1933. Yeah, I was just like, uh huh, uh huh. You can't, you can't see me because this is a recording. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing that yeah, motion. Yeah, right I mean. Now. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's know, dangerous. I think I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, and I think it was yeah. the most efficient way to end the scene, which yeah. I would have thought you would have been grateful for. I, I guess. Oh uh, well, no, I was glad the scene was end, was done. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was like, oh good. It's, it's like when I saw it in two thousand five. I was like, oh good. Can this be the end of the film? Can this just be it? <laughs> no, you know, there's another God. hour in New York. Ugh. 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 <laughs> All right. So Ian, you talk about the rest of the movie. Yeah, I thought it's getting sore. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all on you, buddy. I mean, the credits roll, and we're, we're good. Like, God damn it! All right, that's not what happens. Okay. So everyone goes into the theater on Broadway, whatever street. I don't know. I I visit New York once every five years. This is oh, um, what a hard life you live, yeah. asshole. So some place in New York, which they've gone to painstaking, unlike the script, they've gone to painstaking lengths to make as detailed as possible. They uh, built New York, by the yeah. way. Yeah, they built. Uh, uh, yeah, because all they wanted to use the universal backlots, but they they were too like claustrophobic. So Peter Jackson's just like, "Fuck it, let's build the first story of like Times Square in New York in 1933," and he did it. Remember, the Lord of the Rings movies made like over a billion dollars, yeah. so they were in the money yeah. at this point. He had the power exactly to so. get this done. So, um, anyway, so yeah, so they all go in, everyone sits down, and I guess that's being, like, cross-cut with, um, and, and like, putting makeup on, makeup on, and you think that she's gonna be there, but we find well, out, oh, and Adrian Brody's making his, the, his, oh, his comedy, which is terribly unfunny. Yeah. And we see way too much of. Yeah. Like, it's... It's just like, and it's like, and it, it, it's very stagey and expositiony, and like the voiceover the, of him saying, "I wrote a, a play for you." Yeah, uh, from back it, on the boat from hour one. Isn't it um, obvious? Yeah, you know, great, great writer. Um, basically, like Adrian Brody wrote a new comedy play, and he's there in the audience on like opening night. It's the opening night of everything on Broadway all at the same time, man. and like he. In the play, the two there's two characters talking about something, and they're clearly talking about Anne getting away from Carl yeah. or Jack uh, because Jack didn't uh, tell Anne that he loved her or whatever. Yeah. Which is sort of weird because in this this back half of the movie, the love story between Jack Driscoll and Anne is like more than an afterthought. I mean, again, mm -hmm. it does seem like Anne has chosen Kong. Yeah, and Jack's whole part in this last part of the movie could almost he could have been killed on Skull Island. I mean, yeah. he doesn't really do that much other than some sort of 
hero-esque things, which he does later, which I don't even know are actually useful or save anyone's life. In fact, I think he might actually cause, like, several more deaths. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, uh, he is... We, so, we see Jack in this little theater on Broadway, like, you know, think of if you saw Birdman, one of the smaller theaters, and he leaves that and i think he's going to this premiere of the of the king kong deal when i think he thinks that that ann's gonna be there because he like yeah. misses her and then uh the and hanks then, tells him like oh he gave her he offered her so much money but uh she she said no so she decided to go back to vaudeville i guess mm-hmm. i guess somehow that i guess and an that, army of naomi watts clones surrounds yeah. her uh and, uh, oh, yeah, and in, in this sequence with Kong, you know, the same, you know, Jack Black introduces him uh, to the world, and everyone's, you know, shocked. But they also do, uh, they parody and use the original music from the native sequence in King Kong. Um, yes. You know. Which was, uh, I was fine with. Yeah. Because well, the music's so good. It is good. Yeah, um, that was fine. And I, you know. That I instantly recognized it and knew what was going on there. And At the same time, it kind of felt like Peter Jackson was saying, Are you happy with me now, Dad? Am I good enough for you? I made mine bigger and better than yours. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what's happening there, but uh, it was a, an effective sequence and, and, and good fun. Uh, and so, yes, like we, we see... The reveal of of the this this ceremony, which is again a restaging of what happened from the original King Kong, complete with like the Max Steiner score, and we have a guy who's supposed to actually, I think, be Max Steiner conducting it in the theater, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, the girl looks up at Kong, and it takes a while because she's got a lot of forehead. And uh, and you see that it's not Naomi Watts at long last, and then it cuts to the, the chorus line thing where Naomi Watts is. But uh, you know, and and from here things deteriorate in the traditional way. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys come in taking the pictures of Kong, angers him intensely. At this point, uh, what's his name? They not Driscoll turns to a coward again. Yes. Yeah, Bruce Baxter, Baxter leaves yeah. again. He quickly changes back. Yeah, yeah, that's why he's called Baxter. Yeah, I, uh, I get it. It's, yeah, he, he always goes back on his character. Something I don't know, I back see. on his word. He's a coward. It's good. It's good. Some solid work there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Kong breaks out of his shackles again and um, goes goes ape. Goes on a kill crazy rampage. <laughs> Kills a lot of Kills people. Kills so many people, and um, he, I, I do like the Adrian Brody's in the upper section of the seating, and I do really like that. That whole scene is oh, great. The, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Where Kong like senses him and like turns and His like Brody sees senses him. Were tingling exactly, um, and Kong goes after him, but he like the the upper seating area collapses because kong weighs so much that whole scene was amazing and really well done i thought and a great addition to the movie and, and something they could only do with modern visual effects and i mean do do effectively yeah um and um yeah then kong 
goes out on the streets of New York and kills like six thousand people. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much like all of five New York. Naomi Watts lookalikes. <laughs> yeah. That got a bit silly. That yeah. was like Sideshow Bob getting hit in the face with the rakes at one <laughs> yeah. point. It's just sort of like, well, and okay. It had the effect. Yeah, I felt no, yeah, yeah. That one yeah, woman, yeah. you know. Yeah. God, no, I love that. That's a horrifying and yet beautiful sequence in the original where he just he he drops her and then her scream mm. slowly Although, melts yeah. into the fire I, engine. I will say fire. that this is, they were faced with a gigantic. Uh, problem from the original which is it was always like a bit ridiculous that Anne and jack were just in that room and kong would immediately like see the building they were yeah, climb yeah. up it and break the window and grab it like that hardcore does not make sense unless unless but, kong has is like a, also a jedi and like yeah. can sense them or whatever like it's new york yeah it's pretty big there's quite a few buildings yeah. so like that did not make sense in the original so having this thing this this action sequence where Kong again where she finds him yeah um, somehow he takes the term <laughs> catching a cab to a whole new level because he's throwing cars like crazy and people are getting killed they have a a street car that stands in for the uh, subway car yeah because I guess that was the the bridge too far I guess was yeah. the making the subway scene again and it was an afterthought uh, in the original. Um, they they almost yeah. did not include it, and it's one of the best scenes in the movie. So, like, I thought that was a little weird. but And that was one of the things in 2005 when I saw that it was just going to be the streetcar and not the subway. Because yeah. I, I was really pumped for, like, how insane that sequence was going to be. And, and, but and they don't really... The car chase sequence, and, uh, yeah. you know, to its defense, that was well done. I remember the special, you know, behind the scenes of that. They actually attached special cameras to the car that could, like, flip, I believe, like, a, you know, like... The 180 or something yeah. like that, you know, so you can get like what was in front of Adrian Brody and Adrian Brody at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, you know, hard work was put into this. Let's right. give him credit where credit's due. It's due. before Jackson had gone totally fuck nuts and was doing things like including actual GoPro camera footage in the raft sequence or in the barrel sequence in uh, Desolation of Smoe, mm. which does happen. There's Go. GoPro footage on. Unbuffered <laughs> in the, in the final cut of the movie, it made it in because those movies were made in such a you know, there was such a press for whatever. I mean, and if you see it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, this is a real thing. That this, this is real. This yeah, is that, real. Because um, because they wanted a camera inside the barrel. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Hobbit cam. It's a Hobbit cam, but it's clearly like you know. Half a K <laughs> coming down from like you know six K or whatever. Oh so it's goodness. like um, that's terrifying. That's look, it looked terrifying. like it, yeah, it God, looked like I'm... I filmed it with my mini DV camera. Oh, okay, God. so anyways, it's not quite to those levels. Um, and and yeah, the sequence is, you know, from a kaiju standpoint. Yeah, this all of this is amazing. Yeah, like, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Probably, I'm gonna say. The most satisfying, like, city destruction scene with modern technology. Because if we're going to go with, like, Godzilla yeah. 2014. Well, which we can't even see half the destruction. Right, that's, exactly. That's and that's say. all like, I can we actually like that's to see it. That's one of the things I like the most about this one out of the modern ones is that the action is shot really well. There's less of that, like, shaky close up. It's whenever something cool is happening, it pulls back and it lets you. 
Kong smashes things. Yeah, right, right. You see Kong smash things. Yeah, and like... The, you and know, even though at, it's at night, he's like pretty well lit. Yeah, so it's, it's not really like they're good. trying to hide anything. As it should be in a fucking monster movie, you actually get to see the monster go on a rampage in the city, which seems like such an obvious thing. But again, 2014 Godzilla, it all seems to happen like just as the scene ends. Yeah. Or just as it begins, he's like, oh, man, I think I pulled something <laughs> from destroying all those buildings. If the camera pans over here, you can see they're all clearly destroyed. I did that just now while we were talking to Aaron Taylor Johnson for 20 minutes about shit that doesn't even matter at all. But, uh, again, I just, wow, man, you should have, you really should have seen it, audience. No, there's none of, there's none of that. Yeah. Okay, it's all, it's all there. It's like, and more, all that, anything you could ever possibly want for, want or ask from a, like, a city destruction scene of, like, a monster that's, you know, he's the size of a house. So he's not taking out entire buildings with one, you know, one swipe or anything, but there's still quite a bit of collateral damage happening here. And, and Jack sees Kong fighting this streetcar, kind of giving it the business, and he's because I think this falls into the category of the hero has to do something heroic. He grabs a cab and sort of gets Kong's attention and is sort of like leading him, I guess, out of like the most populated part of the city or something. Yeah, like, I didn't really understand what his goal was or if he accomplished it or not. Um, but definitely at least two or three hundred more people got killed on his way to accomplishing it. Yeah. So, whatever. And, uh, and, and, and Kong is about to kill him, you know, there's that moment where it's like, Adrian Brody's cab's all busted up, and there's smoke coming out of the chassis, or whatever, and, and Kong is, you know, standing about, you know, half a block away, and they're just sort of staring each other down, and then Naomi Watts... Kind of walks appears, and appears magically mm-hmm. like, like Gladriel from the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, comes back to him, which is pure fantasy. That whole scene well, is just pure, yeah. like, because all, all of a sudden, then, no one is on, no one yeah. is around. There's like, for a, a film that... It turns that, into Godzilla that, versus Megalon for yeah, a second, for, for it's a ghost a town. film that is so dense with um, special effects where, like, there's something Each going on the floor. Each shot just so dense. I mean, it's just shot. so much going on. It's like poetry. It rhymes, you know? It's, um, you know, the, those sequences, it more or less, it becomes clear, like, okay, they're standing in front of a green screen and there's kind of, like, smoke <laughs> coming out of stuff. Right. You know, but, yeah, like, everything just stops and there's no nothing going on in the background. So it's just right. very flat imagery. And then they meet back up in their besties again. And their besties and, again. And then Kong takes her to Zoo Lights so for they a could, romantic evening. For a romantic <laughs> ski in the yeah, park. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, yes, ice can uh, hold the weight of a, you know, a house. <laughs> well, back before global warming, things used to freeze completely. Uh-huh. You know? and, uh, the 30s were cold. Yeah, the 30s, 30s were, were cold, cold man. Yeah. 30s were very cold. The cold times. Yeah, it was a cold time. Yeah. And uh, and that scene was, uh, you know, terrible, ludicrous, but I thought sort of beautiful and sort of nice. Because again, you know, the movie's like three hours long, so it 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 balances out. I think you can have a scene like that, and you you need a nice scene with these characters because it's sort of like the last time they're ever together and like happy. 
before the end with all the stuff on the Empire State Building, which is all sort of has an overlaying, like, tragic feeling to it. I think it's earned it. It's a beautifully shot scene. Fuck it. Plus, the stinger of, like, the ice exploding from the mortar is great and very effective. So I'm going to... Here, I'm, I'm planting my flag down in the sand right here. It stays in the movie, uncut. It's an addition. Is it ludicrous? Definitely. But so are like big gorillas. You know, if you want to say like in the, I'll I'll say it's a fair bet. In this universe, in this universe, uh, yeah, sure, it'll make total sense. I just didn't need to see it. Like, yeah. It was just... Yeah, I went to see at Wolf Trap. Not that I live anywhere near Wolf Trap. Right. Exactly. Uh uh, I went to see, I think, like, the year afterwards, like, um, music, you know, from science fiction films, uh, hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Um, so they did, like, God rest his soul. the first, the first half was science fiction films, including the original score from King Kong, uh, to which the conductor said, no, not the creepy one from 2005 with the whole skating sequence. No, 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 no. We're talking about the good one from 1933. Yeah. Well, that's where it so, started. Yeah. yeah. I guess. Yeah. People say, oh, he skates, oh, they want to have a moment of joy and beauty before everything starts exploding again. Let's, let's, you know, tear you know the whole else, thing down. You know what else huh? is beautiful? His death from the original King Kong. That was a beautifully shot sequence. I'm totally, you know, when I'm watching a movie, I want to the entire time be going, yes, yes, yes. More. And you watch Give those types of movies me. at least once a day. I know they yes. help you sleep. We're talking about a different thing here, Nathan. <laughs> All right? This is a completely different thing. And again, it's three hours. This is the first time they've had a chance, that Kong and Anne have had a chance to breathe since before the, uh, you know, nonsensical bat attack on the top of Skull Island, and it's like, and it goes, uh, like I said, it leads right back into Kong's, you know, tragic death, so it's like, why not give him a second to breathe, and give the audience a second to breathe? I mean, the the cut from uh, <clears throat> from Skull Island to New York, it's all action, 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 like, the whole, it's like, uh, the pace is like a frenzy, and, and like, this, this is the first scene in like an hour, where it's mm-hmm. just like, let's just shut up for a second and just have a little bit of me- nice, nice music in there. But they could have done they got that the Christmas lights the skating, on. They could have the walked. They yeah. could have walked through There's a row of Christmas. They got trees. ponds in here. What's the problem? Or she could have skated, and he could have walked. Kong is enchanted by the ice. He's never seen it before. It's a tropical island. There's no ice there. Of course, he'd slip around. What do you want to walk around on the ice? What's the problem? I haven't heard a single compelling argument yet. All right? My eyes. Uh, My precious eyes. Uh, Just isn't enough bleach that I can get that scene out of my head. Um, Okay, well, the beautiful and lyrical moment. It's like poetry. Every image is so dense. (laughs) It is interrupted by an artillery barrage. Uh, yeah, thank goodness. Uh, and then Kong okay. goes to text the military people. There's a sequence. I don't remember if this was just in the extended sequence or in the original, but... I yeah. think it's an extended it's edition. It's just uh, edition. the stupid, you know, it's just like, this, we made the city for, for humans, yeah. not for apes. Yeah. I want it. We're going to find him. We're going to kill him. And then he immediately gets killed. Yeah. That that could have been cut. Yeah. There's you no won't need. see me defending that. There's, that was dumb. Bad. 
it was, was like badly here. shot too. Like <laughs> the ice sequence was better shot than that. Ice sequence was a haunting and majestic sequence. The ice <laughs> sequence was an expression good. of love <laughs> between two characters, which you don't understand. Look, Mike, I have forbidden needs, as you well know, but even I have limits. I thought we covered that <laughs> just now. Well, no, yeah, but this is the scene with the pep talk, and then it's worth it because they all get killed because okay. it. it turns into a gag of this this armored uh, carrier with like 30 troops all talking about how they have to kill Kong and it's very ham-fisted and purify the poorly city. done and then Kong tackles it like you know gives it the spear or whatever uh, gives it the forearm shiver into a building <laughs> which I thought was was great because yeah. it's like you know that's if the scene had ended any other way then I would have been like okay this movie's garbage <laughs> but like they no nope, they pulled it back just at the right second said no no we're still keep watching um Kong now makes his way to the Empire State Building uh there's a pretty awesome scene where like he's being chased by a jeep that's like shooting mortars into buildings and we have to assume at least maiming some people in those those buildings oh, or yeah. like mm-hmm. you know deafening them or like you know blinding them or you know doing some damage if not Lots outright therapy killing will be needed everyone <laughs> in those buildings but uh you know the, you could see in one of the deleted scenes there was a whole scene which i don't know may have been amazing may not have been where like kong was being pursued by that jeep and it was just mortaring building after building mm-hmm. and there's a part of me that would not want to see that because it's like, oh, they're killing all the people in those buildings. Those are not very good army guys, but on this sheer, like, insane, you know, Godzilla level of destruction spectacle, I kind of would want to see that too. But whatever, it doesn't matter because it's deleted. They cut it out. Um, and there's no there's no completed version of that sequence that exists anywhere. It's all sort of in animatics. Uh, so we basically just cut to Kong arriving at the, at the sort of the... The lower level of the of the, uh, of the Empire State Building, and he begins to make his climb. Makes um, sense. Um, and then Adrian Brody follows, and you know, there's a whole bunch of sequences. Of, hey, you can't go in there. Yeah, he he makes it through literally armed guards, five different guys who they're each one of them. Their only line is like. You can't go here. And then he goes past that guy. There's another guy. Well, you definitely can't go there. And he pushes that guy and goes there. And, yeah, and then he goes into the elevator, and it's the suspense movie elevator that closes immediately. Mm-hmm. And not like every other elevator in real life. I do like the fact that it takes him so long to get to the top of the Empire State Building. Because yeah. in, a, in a movie of lunacy, that is like the most realistic part. Yeah. It takes him like a full ten minutes. Yeah. He doesn't mm-hmm. get there till after... The next sequence is over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that which is very is, convenient. Um, and that is the plane sequence, yeah. um, which pretty much yeah. flawless. I intense feelings of vertigo. Remember being mad. Maybe I just had some kind of like massive m- mental breakdown. But I could have sworn in two thousand five I was incredibly pissed because I thought the airplanes had the wrong insignia on them. And like I said, let it go. But look, well, no, but looking at it again, it was like, no, they're right. 
So I must have just been so angry yeah. at the film I was seeing. You were, you were seeing visions. I, I, I swore when I saw it, I was like, that's the Royal Air Force symbol, not the Army Air Corps symbol. What is wrong with Peter Jackson? But I saw it again. Maybe it was changed to the extended edition, but I remember being like mad over that. And apparently it didn't happen. So, I, yeah, the, the movie While we're gave the, me brain this, damage. Yeah, yes. Uh, while we're on the subject of the of, of the biplane, um, cameos here uh, from Peter Jackson is is flying one of the planes, and his gunner is Rick Baker, mm-hmm. who of course portrayed Kong in the 1976 version of the film. Also, uh, one of the people on the streets is uh, Bob Burns, who uh, is a makeup guy and has one of the greatest collections of movie paraphernalia. In the world, and he puts on these haunted house things in uh, in California every year, and they're like crazy. So, like, you know, there's and there's some other people in there who are a little bit more off the radar than even that, but uh, some cool stuff going on there. Back to the sequence itself, I think it works. I think it's I, uh, you know, I I think it's it's the 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 exclamation mark that the movie needed to have. Uh, to keep it from maybe being the train wreck that some people claim it to be, I, I think, no, he fucking nails the ending of this movie, and it's yeah. great, and there's some stuff we've never seen before. To say, like, you know, we start with a beautiful recreation of 1933 New York, perfectly, as far as we know, uh, during, like, the magic hour, just, like, the craziest, yeah. you know, the most ideal <laughs> thing to film ever. And, like, the stakes are super high. There's a part where um, Anne almost falls off this ladder, which is, like, if you don't have vertigo watching that, you know, yeah. you know, check your pulse. Um, and, and all the mm-hmm. tragic, all the culmination of stuff, like, Kong is, he's getting killed and, 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 like, but jumping up. Like, every time he jumps up, like, swap one of the planes, there's, like, you really feel danger. Like, he's not going to land on it. He's going to fall off. Like, it's, yeah. it's exhilarating. Yeah. Well, um, well put together, well edited. Um, I mean, half of me was kind of enjoying it because it's like, oh, good, this is now over. I right. can go home, I can sleep. Um, but uh, but at the same time, no, well put together, well cut. I feel like uh, the original built up had that sequence built up better. Just the way the music, like, just kind of built into it. You have the planes, you see King Kong coming up at the same time. But this I'll, I'll, is yeah, a no, different. This that. is a different film. No, I will. I, think, I will say yeah. it's more effective than the original. Definitely. But, I mean, the, the yeah. original King Kong is like one of the best movies ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's one of the yeah. best movies ever made. So, so. it's going to be. But that, granted, then this, yeah. yes, not bad. But no, not bad. Well cut. Um, and yeah, there is a, a definite sense of danger, like the entire time, not just for Kong, but also for Anne. So it it does, you know, the human element is in it um, as well. So um, yeah, and then Kong takes out three planes this time. Three planes. I love the gag of Kong grabbing onto the wing of one of the planes and sort of spinning around, around yeah. like you would with like a kite that's caught in like a windstorm, and then letting it go mm-hmm. into another plane. I thought. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, fucking great. Um, and then yeah, so he gets shot, and uh, he, I think he's dead. 
before he falls, actually. Probably. Because his eyes kind of go slack a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. So, which is, maybe that's better off for him, you know. Yeah. It's, um, um, once again, the final law of physics to be broken of the film is that the body does not totally gooify when it hits uh, the street. It's relatively intact. I'd say even more so than it is yeah. in the 1933 version. Because yeah. you kind of get the indication see, that his head's a little bit blown up. Yeah. Or, or you only see like half of his body. Like, right. you know, ooh, this is too grotesque to show. Right. You know, I mean, I'm sure the real reason was it's just like, well, A, we can't show how yeah. grotesque this is, or B, we don't have the money. Right, the real reason so, is always because it saved money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, it's easier to just, when you can't see it all, your imagination goes wild. It's just like, oh, how horrifying, how disgusting. Um, and, yeah, um, Denim comes up and says, you know, it was Beauty Killed the Beast. It wasn't the guns that got me. Which was supposed to be said by Fay Ray. Unfortunately, she died in August 10th, 2004. Uh, not too long before they would have shot this scene. And that was always Peter Jacks from 1996 on. That was his intent to have her say the final line. But um, unfortunately, she passed before that could be done. So they gave it back to Jack Black. And, um, and then the credits roll on King Kong 2005. King Kong 2005. Ugh. Well, mm-hmm. you know, much to much to think about. Much to think about. I guess I appreciate it a little more. I don't hate it as much. However, kind of like Kurosawa's The Idiot, if I have a choice between that or Pain and Gain, I'm going to watch Pain and Gain. But <laughs> Pain and Gain is an underrated movie. That's yeah. a good the movie. Michael, uh, the Michael Bay movie. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not that's a bad a movie. Pretty great no, movie, actually. That's, yeah. Um, but funny, um, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Anyone going to see that new Benghazi movie? Michael no, Benghazi most definitely. John Krasinski uh, yes. from The Office? Yeah, it's like, I don't know. 13 hours or whatever. Hours. Something. something. Yeah. Will it feel like 13 hours? Because that's what Transformers 2 felt like. Well, you know, again, that felt like 13 hours. Transformers 4 was so abusive. Was that like such was a... That Age of Extinction? That was the one that was like, yeah, put your head in a dryer and put like... <laughs> $15 worth of quarters in there and put it on and <laughs> keep it in there for two hours and that's the same experience yeah. as watching Transformers 4. That was yeah. crazy. Yeah. And this was, yeah, this this could have been that. This could and have it wasn't. That. No, it wasn't. I would rather watch this than <laughs> the Transformers, Transformers 2. Or any, any Transformers film. I would much rather watch this. Okay, so it, it is better than other films and you know it you know, beats, I don't know, the Jusus, but uh one more time with that. The Jew, <laughs> the Jew Seuss. It's a, it's a it's a propaganda film from the the late 30s in Germany. So it deals deals with a certain evil Jew who has come to a certain town right. to you know rape white women and <laughs> so steal this, their money. So this, King Kong Two Five is not a hate film. No, yeah. it's not. Well, not, not as hateful. I should it's, say it's, it's not it's as not hate. Nazi propaganda. That's yeah. your highest. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's not nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there are much worse things than King Kong, you know, uh, the Great Leap Forward, the Final Solution, the Killing Fields. All but right, all right, all I right. had to choose a close right, before fourth. we descend into total <laughs> lunacy here, that's okay. Are you done? Yes. yes all right. Done. So, Kaiju fans, if you're out there, if you're you haven't seen this movie, watch it. Get your hands on the extended edition. You might as well fully commit. Bigger is better. Bigger is better. 
Because it's only what an extra fifteen. It's only minutes. an extra fifteen minutes. The movie's already going to be. Th- it's the difference between three hours and eight minutes to three hours and twenty one minutes. It yeah. Just adds action. <laughs> yeah, it's all. Yeah. It's pure action and it's pure like monster action. So do it. Don't listen to Nathan. <laughs> Seek out this movie if you haven't seen it. Watch like, it. See it. Do I'm not, not saying watch no, the Lovely just... Bones. Mm. And uh, do not watch uh, any of the Hobbit movies. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised. I enjoyed this a lot more than I remembered. Yeah. In 2005, 2005, I remember having like a real full-on hate. Like came out of full the on just, hate. just angry such a about strong it. Word. It was. I was He's young. He's saying hate, and, and I. Like, uh, and I, I'm just not. I did not. I did not problems, hate this movie. Definitely. Uh, definitely problems, and there's a lot of there are a lot of characters that I think if you just chop those characters, exactly, it would be. Yeah infinitely better the even editing just editing because I mean, even like Driscoll Driscoll has almost nothing to do for the entire movie yeah, other yeah. than just slow it down and but all the action scenes are really fun like particularly yeah. the, and there's the like two hours of them so there's it's never just, gonna be you know I'm never gonna be able to say like oh it's a bad movie or it shouldn't exist or, or whatever or don't watch it because it's like again it's a three hour movie an hour of that movie not very good yeah but like well, and it's there's difficult an hour, there's like at least an hour and forty five minutes of pure action. The advantage of having DVDs or just you know instant video or whatever we're going to get in the future, you know, the Apple IV where we can just inject the music into <laughs> our bloodstream. Hook it up to my veins. <laughs> um, Barney wears a cup of Whatever. But the the idea is that we could actually have the luxury of just skipping ahead. You know. And maybe that's maybe that's what the, the movie was ahead of its time. It just wasn't supposed to be shown in a theater. It was right. supposed to be on Netflix or DVD, where you could just instantly get to the goods and not have to worry about anything else. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't ever see myself watching the whole three hours ever again. Yeah. But there are a few of those scenes that I'm definitely going to go back yeah. and watch. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I stand by my stance. It's it's you know altogether a worthwhile effort, and there's nothing officially wrong with it. <laughs> And <laughs> let's just <laughs> let's just go from there, all right? Um, and, and it's definitely better than Nazi propaganda. It's yeah, better than Nazi propaganda. propaganda. Yeah, better than the uh, Jusus. Jusus, yeah. Not to be confused with the pro-Semitic British film from the '30s, The Jusus. I doubt so any of my listeners were for free we on got, YouTube. Look, look it up. We got there are two versions. <laughs> well, speaking of rap, no, not speaking of rapping. Uh, a couple, a couple of things. Yes. Okay, a couple of big Pod War Hour announcements. Number one, uh, back I think in, in December. You know, okay, we've been away for a couple of months, but we haven't been resting on our laurels. One of the things we did was we thought, in honor of, we've been now been downloaded uh, over fifty thousand times. Uh, 51,256 when this is being recorded. Not that we keep track of that thing fetishistically or anything like that, but uh, in honor of the 50,000, we produced a documentary about the show, and that's what was going on in December. So I'm sorry we didn't have an episode in December, but that's why it took took longer than we, we thought it was going to. And, uh, but the good news is that it's done now, uh, and it's called The Godzilla Pod War Story. Uh, you can find it on our Facebook page. I'll also put up a link on Twitter after this. And it's, you know, we haven't put that many posts up since then, so it should still be on there. And everything from Twitter automatically loads up onto Facebook anyways. Uh, those names of those websites, again, by the way, are it's the Godzilla Pod War Hour on Facebook and Michael Kelly 
at Godzilla Pod War on Twitter. Okay, so that's where to find this thing, and it's called the Godzilla Pod War Story. And what it is, it's roughly 20 minutes interviews with Nate, myself. We talk about the inception of the show. We've got exclusive, never-before-seen, unreleased photos and stuff. It's the first live-action footage of us talking, so you can finally see you've seen pictures of us and you've heard our voices. This will be the first time that you can see... Um, you know, our our faces moving and then our voices coming out of our faces. Crystal sink. Crystal sink, exactly. It's the best thing in the world next to actually being able to come up to us uh, live and in person talking about a Godzilla movie, if only such a thing were possible. Oh, wait. This brings us to our next announcement, uh, which is that Nathan and I, uh, at the end of this month, January 29th and 30th, at the E Street Cinema in Washington, D.C., uh, are going to be uh, hosting a showing of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 mm-hmm. from 1993. We're going to be doing roughly a half an hour intro each night. Um, we may try and record it, see if that works. If it works out okay, might try to turn it into a live episode. We don't know yet. A lot of the logistics are still being planned out. But uh, the plan right now is, because it's part of the Midnight series there, is uh, we're going to do roughly a half an hour starting around 11.30. The movie will start at roughly midnight. And, uh, and then you can, you can watch a Godzilla movie in the theater. So if anyone uh, would like uh, the experience of watching a Godzilla movie in a movie theater, which I think that would be most of you listening, uh, you can do that coming up in, in roughly two weeks in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Nate, any anything to, to add to that? Nope, no. Oh, how am I doing? You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> how are my plugs doing? You're doing a good job, Mikey. Um, These are good plugs. We don't quite have it figured out what we're going to be doing yet other than just generally t- talking about Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. We might have some trivia, might have some raffles, might have some merch giveaways. That's all being plotted out still. But and the, don't worry, like... We know we've been hard on the High Size series. However, we will do our best to do justice to yeah. this film. Because we thought we thought we rushed through them a little yeah. fast, so why not go back and re-explore this one, which I thought was, was one of the best of the High Size yeah. series. Yeah, most certainly. Um, which is really just like saying it's like the best Police Academy movie. You know, it's the one that functions the best as, as a movie-like thing that you mm. can watch for an hour and a half. So, like, anyways, that's the movie, and... Uh, I think tickets are, you know, get them fast, because uh, I'm sure it's going to sell out, maybe, uh, probably not, we don't know yet, but you can get it on either movietickets.com or landmarktheaters.com, certainly going to supply you with more information from the Facebook thing as, as more of these logistics roll out, but stay tuned for that, uh, and yeah, we're taking the show not on the road. I mean, it's not it's a tour. Road. It's on a road. But, um, again, East Street Cinema, Washington, D.C., 29th and 30th. If you want to come in and, I don't know, talk about Godzilla movies, we'll, we'll be there. <laughs> we have to be there. We have to be there. So, uh, <laughs> so that's, ha- that's a thing that's actually happening. So, Ian, what do you think? It's quite, a, quite an epic... Uh, episode here and did you enjoy it do you think it would be back yeah. in future episodes this was a hoot and this yeah. is like our hateful eight episode this is like the extended i mean 
Though still, we're clocking I mean, in shorter than yeah, the movie itself. Yeah, we're longer before. Yeah. We're going through a three-hour movie. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Lots but of no, material is... here. Lots to discuss. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was good times. Good times. Good times. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it was, yeah, it was good times. And uh, glad we finally got this one off the books. Uh, just in a general show note, you know, and I say this in the documentary, which I plugged earlier, which you should definitely watch. But, you know, still making new episodes. Obviously, that's what this is. And guess what? Just ran out of King Kong movies. So things are going to get real funky from here on. <laughs> <laughs> things get real funky when we're fresh out of monkey. Yeah, all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Juice,